excise tax, and it would be used to help Colorado's 178 public schools. The tax, when it's collected, goes into the Public Schools Capital Construction Assistance Fund, and from there, it gets transferred to something known as Building Excellent Schools Today, or BEST. And this BEST has a competitive grant program. And here's the problem. The BEST program had been set up to help with these schools that were in severe need of emergency funding. Colorado has all sorts of tax laws uh, in place, in particular one called TABOR, the Taxpayer's Bill of Rights. And part of that specifies that taxes have to be passed by the people, and if too much tax is collected, then that tax has to be refunded to the people. So as this school district has done, like many school districts have done, they've passed bonds and levies and all sorts of uh, ways of keeping their funding flowing. This BEST program is just another way that they can get some funding for their schools, but they have to apply for it. And typically this BEST program gets about three times the applications than they have funding. So it is competitive. And the school district uh, budget manager, his name's Dave Montoya, uh, said that, quote, typically BEST is funding districts that have highly critical needs and are struggling to fund those needs within the district. Right now, we are not pursuing the BEST program and wouldn't get any direct revenue from pot sales, end quote. And part of his justification is that it being a competitive grant program, there's other school districts in much more dire need than the PSD, which is one of the more affluent school districts. But the parents in the PSD are complaining that many of the schools there do not have adequate air conditioning. And I know a lot of people think of Denver and Colorado and all of that is the Rocky Mountain high and cold, snowy states. But the fact is, August and early September, you can get temperatures in the 90s, even in the 100s there in Colorado, uh, making it very difficult for the kids to study. And what happens then is teachers will keep the windows open or the doors open to try to get some airflow. And that flies in the face of the security uh, procedures that have been in place since Columbine happened in Colorado. Because of school shootings, the schools are supposed to keep their doors closed and locked. Well, if it's 95 degrees in the classroom, they're not keeping those doors closed and locked. So I would see this as an emergency, as a very important need, but the people at the PSD are refusing to apply for these grants. And some parents are asking why there should be any grant involved in here at all, figuring that when they voted for legalized marijuana, they understood it to mean that all of the schools would be getting money from the legalized marijuana. The last time that the PSD applied for one of these best grants, they got $580,000 to fix their fire alarm systems. Um, and that they had to back it up with a $16 million tax levy and a $120 million bond. Those two uh, efforts added another $130 a year to the taxes on a median home there, a $275,000 home. So the taxpayers had to cough up another 130 bucks in order to take care of the fire alarms last time. The estimate for the implementation of uh, air conditioning in 50 schools would be 40 to $50 million. So obviously we don't have enough money in the school tax funds to get, or the pot tax funds to take care of all of that. But certainly some of the schools could be helped out. I just can't understand how the PSD doesn't see this as an emergency need and why they think they're doing so well 
they can just turn away free pot money, especially when last time they needed money, they raised the tax burden for all of the property owners in the school district. Uh, we got legalization measures happening in Oregon, Alaska, and Washington, D.C., and we have a medical marijuana amendment that's on the ballot down in Florida. So those are the four major things that are happening with us on the line right now, calling from the great state of Oregon, Mr. Russ Belleville. Hi, Russ. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, so I was just sort of updating our listeners who might not have been catching the news coming out of High Times or Huffington Post or, or 420 Radio, that you have, over the past couple of months, decided that uh, through public requests of uh, public records to see exactly what the opposition to Measure 91 has been up to. And so what have, what have you found? I have found shenanigans. Uh, basically, what was going on here is in 2012, the opponents of marijuana legalization, we had legalization on the ballot in 2012 and it failed. But uh, in 2012, the opponents of legalization put together what they call a Oregon marijuana drug summit, a, a, a educational summit is what they build it as. And at this summit, they had sheriffs and drug prevention people and Kevin Sabet tell people to vote no on Measure 80, legalization's bad, and it's awful. And it came around again this time in 2014, and they were going to do the same thing, and we started thinking, wait a minute. You're listening to 420 Radio. Listen Saturdays at noon Pacific for Medical Marijuana Radio, podcasting at medicalmarijuanaradio.com. Larry Love is reporting on the latest national news and studies concerning medical use of cannabis with interviews of experts and policy analysis. Check our online listings for Medical Marijuana Radio with Larry Love from MedicalMarijuanaRadio.com. Expand your horizons and join us every Wednesday night for Gordon Green's Music Planet. You'll hear an eclectic mix of music from all around the world. Catch the first show of the month for an intro to world music. It's Gordon Green's Music Planet Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific with replays weekends at midnight on 420radio.org. Introducing the YMCA. Sure, you know the Y for a swim or a game of hoops, but we're more than that. We're a cause. When you take a jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Practice yoga as a team practices her leadership skills. We give people of all ages, incomes, and backgrounds a chance to learn, grow, and thrive. So while you might think of the Y as the place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. That's a Y. We're so much more. Visit ymca.net slash more. Six months from now, I'm going to be a dad. So there's one thing I want to change about me right now. I've tried before, but this time, I'll do it for me and the baby. I'll quit smoking for good. Most people don't succeed at first. It often takes several tries. The important thing is to never quit on yourself. Visit quitterinu.org or call 1-800-LUNG-USA for tools and tips from the American Lung Association. We support the Quitter in You. They came from every corner of the country, from small towns and big cities. But they all shared one thing in common. They belonged to a family called Marines. A tough and determined few dedicated to protecting everything we hold sacred. And still, they come 
Celebrate the history of those proud few who have earned the title Marine. Countless victims of human trafficking walk among us, invisible until now. The Blue Campaign provides a unified voice for those who work to combat human trafficking. It's time to open our eyes. Learn what you can do by visiting dhs.gov slash blue campaign. Young people everywhere are making a difference. Special Olympics has changed my life. What I'm doing is for a great cause. And it's not about disabilities, but it's about celebrating their abilities. I've made a difference. Now it's your turn to make a difference. Get involved at specialolympics.org. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Rush Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Now, here's your host, Radical Ross Belleville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Tuesday, November 10th, 2015, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show. So glad you could join us today for the next two hours of news, interviews, analysis, and opinion by, for, and about the marijuana law reform community. We're here every weekday on CannabisRadio.com at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, a lot of folks are following me over from my past three years at 420 Radio, the uh, public radio network that I've created. Just a quick update. Uh, it's not going away. 420 Radio will still exist. Uh, it will still run great podcasts from all over the nation of volunteer activist reformers and also the great music shows and music that you've come to enjoy, as well as little features of my own uh, from my archives, various interviews and so forth. But my live show and the replays of my show will soon only be available on CannabisRadio.com. That'll be at the top of the year. So we're going to simulcast here, kind of do them side by side for the rest of this year to give you a chance to switch the URLs, get the new bookmarks, the links, everything you need to keep following the Russ Belville show because we appreciate your support. I tell you, it gets lonely sometimes uh, working in the studio, and especially when I take a, a stand or an opinion that's not always the most popular, but knowing you guys are out there listening and supporting makes all the difference in the world. Also, quick update uh, for you live listeners, uh, no live show tomorrow because I will be on an airplane on my way to Jamaica, man. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be great in Jamaica, and we're going to be bringing you live coverage on Thursday and Friday and Monday from Negril, Jamaica, the site of the High Times Cannabis Cup. I'm really excited to be there. They're doing it in conjunction with Rastafari Roots Fest, so we might get to dig real deep into Rastafari culture. Also, four hosts from Cannabis Radio will be there. Cal Cushman, Dr. Dina, Nurse Heather, and Rob all from CannabisRadio.com will be there. We're going to try to get their shows on live from Jamaica as well. And, and cross your fingers, live coverage of the wedding of Kyle Cushman. That's right. So we got all sorts of stuff coming up from Jamaica. You'll just have to give me Wednesday off to be able to fly there and get it all set up. Also, stay tuned, Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio, uh, the second hour of my show. Our live phone line here is 971 533 
seven one one one. It's great in uh, number poker, by the way. Nine seven one five three three seventy one eleven. Because I've got this thing going around. I've gotten some emails, gotten some Facebook posts of the uh, a fellow uh, a colleague here, a a fellow activist in Oregon named Michael Wolf Siegel, who wants to challenge me to a debate over something I said about medical marijuana, and. It's always funny to me when people want to challenge me to a debate. You know I've got a live show, right? <laughs> i got a free phone number you can call and deba- debate me any day of the week between 4 and 5 Pacific. So we'll see if we can make that happen. Coming up on the show today, I'm going to give you my talk that I gave at the Columbus, Ohio Women Grow event two days after the Issue 3 loss. In the Radical Rant, we're going to take a look at a tragic story coming out of Ohio that illustrates why I am so serious about legalizing marijuana. Also, we've got some uh, government at work where we're going to, or, sorry, Cannabis Chronicles. Snoop Dogg's going to try to save Live Well there in uh, Colorado. Behind the Headlines takes a look at the Sioux Tribe in South Dakota that just burned their marijuana crop. We'll tell you why. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. This is Lori Duckworth, and I'm here with the Hempery, Greta Gaines Company, and you're listening to 420 Radio. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement, he went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq War, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> More flavor. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News, covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is available exclusively through CannabisRadio.com in partnership with the Associated Press. Now, your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds in the Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, November 10th, 2015. Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto said Monday he opposes any eventual legalization of marijuana five days after the Supreme Court ruled in favor of four people who wanted to grow pot for personal use. The Supreme Court ruled Wednesday that growing, possessing, and smoking marijuana for recreation is legal under the right to freedom. At this point, the ruling covers only the plaintiffs in a single case. 
The ruling did not approve the sale or commercial production of marijuana, nor does it imply a general legalization. But if the court rules the same way on five similar petitions, it would then establish the precedent to change the law and allow general recreational use. An October opinion poll by Parametria polling firm said that 77% of Mexicans oppose legalizing marijuana, while only 20% supported the idea. Last week, the acting chief of the Drug Enforcement Administration called medical marijuana a joke during a Q&A with reporters. Now, medical marijuana patients are calling for his head with an online petition demanding his resignation, attracting over 10,000 signatures on change.org. Quote, we can have an intellectually honest debate about whether we should legalize something that is bad and dangerous, DEA Chief Chuck Rosenberg said. But don't call it medicine. That is a joke. It has never been shown to be safe or effective as a medicine, end quote. In an emailed statement, a DEA spokesperson sought to clarify Rosenberg's remark, saying, quote, To clarify, acting administrator Rosenberg indicated that marijuana should be subject to the same levels of approval and scrutiny as any other substance intended for use as a medicine. DEA supports efforts to research potential medical uses of marijuana. His comments reflected the fact that FDA has not approved any medicinal uses for smoked marijuana, end quote. The Oregon Liquor Control Commission has made three last-minute updates to rules covering adult marijuana markets. Regarding residency requirements, while the current rule states that an Oregon resident with at least 51% ownership of a company must be the primary applicant for wholesaler, grower, processor, and retailer licenses, the OLCC added language that out-of-state businesses wouldn't get disqualified if they applied and the Oregon legislature changed the law. Several members of the Joint Marijuana Committee of the Oregon Legislature have expressed that they may change the residency requirement as they want to ensure that businesses have the resources they need to succeed. OLCC is also now allowing marijuana deliveries, but no more than $100 worth of marijuana products may be carried and deliveries may not be made into jurisdictions that have banned retail marijuana outlets. Bud tenders may not have felonies on their records unless it is a marijuana felony more than two years old. A Colorado county has achieved the unusual distinction of becoming the first place in the world to offer college scholarships funded entirely by marijuana money. Last week in Colorado's Pueblo County, voters cast their ballot on a number of proposals with almost all of them, quote, having something to do with marijuana, end quote, according to Time magazine. More remarkable was the fact that more than 60% of voters approved a measure that will phase in an increase in taxes 5% by 2020 on marijuana growers to fund college scholarships and other community projects. If we were to consider the total marijuana money available to lawmakers, the Colorado ballot measure allows them to spend $66.1 million in taxes collected from the sale of recreational marijuana. According to WTKR, half of the taxes will go towards funding college scholarships in Colorado. This is the first time that any administration in the world will offer college scholarships to its students funded by marijuana money. A Vermilion, Ohio police officer was suspended Monday after he wore a pin on his uniform that expressed support for the legalization of marijuana. Michael Reinheimer said he wore a pin that read, I support legalized 2016 on Saturday morning as he took part in an auction of old police and city equipment. Reinheimer said he supports legal marijuana because his wife, Luann, has epilepsy 
and her medication doesn't always alleviate her symptoms. He said he's read that marijuana can be effective in preventing seizures, but the police chief says he doesn't have a problem with his advocacy, but by wearing it on his uniform, creating the impression the police push his political beliefs. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, November 10th, 2015. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E in tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Welcome back. Today in Behind the Headlines, we're going to review a story that we covered yesterday briefly, and that was the literal burning down of the crop being tended by the South Dakota Flandro Santee Sioux tribe. Uh, of course, this story got my attention after the passage, or, or I should say the issuing, of the Wilkinson Memo. That was the memo from the Department of Justice that answered the question brought up by the Cole Memo. The Cole Memo, of course, is the one that allows the states to legalize marijuana so long as they follow eight federal priorities. And and not so much as allows as turns a blind eye to or lets happen. Well, the question off the Cole Memo then became, what about the Native American tribes? They're sovereign, right? They're as sovereign as they're more sovereign than the U.S. states. So if you're going to let the states legalize, what if the tribes wanted to legalize? And the Wilkinson Memo came out, Department of Indian Affairs. And said, well, yeah, they would be subject to the same provisions as the Cole Memo. So if a sovereign Native American tribe wanted to legalize marijuana, they would be allowed to so long as they don't distribute, let it get distributed to kids or have it be used as a cover for trafficking or prevent diversion out of state, yada, yada, yada. And I, when this came out, I thought this was the hugest development, right? Because the Cole Memo, well, that's great if you live in Oregon or California, or Massachusetts, right? Because your state's got a pretty damn good chance it's going to legalize marijuana soon. But if you're living in South Dakota, or Tennessee, or Ohio, or Idaho, or Wyoming, I mean, it doesn't help you much because you're surrounded by majorities that still support marijuana prohibition. And so when the Wilkinson memo came out, my first thought was, oh my God, can you imagine if the Fort Hall Indian Reservation in southeastern Idaho legalized pot? What a huge tourist trap that would be. You'd get people coming from Montana, from from uh, Wyoming, from Utah, from Idaho to enjoy the, the, the marijuana, right? 
And exactly what I predicted happened. The Flandro Santee Sioux tribe in South Dakota, just south of Sioux Falls, uh, they decided to legalize marijuana. They're a tribe of like 400, <laughs> 400 tribal members. They decided to legalize marijuana and they already have a casino, they had a great casino. And they were just going to build this marijuana lounge. It was going to open on New Year's Eve for a thousand ticket holders. They're going to grow their own marijuana and they'd already planted. It's already in the ground. They're going to sell it a gram at a time in the lounge in barcoded packages. And you couldn't get another one until you brought back your last barcoded package, right? It was going to be so controlled, you know, talk about following the coal memo, right? Prevent diversion. But now they've burned down their crop because the DEA threatened them with a raid. Well, not so much threatened. They weren't told that a raid was imminent. This is according to CBS News. But that one was possible if the government's concerns weren't addressed. And the main holdup is if a tribe legalizes marijuana on its lands, does that apply to non-tribal members? Well, of course, this would be the sticking point. If you allow the tribe to be able to welcome anyone on their lands to be able to use marijuana then the prohibition of marijuana is not going to work very well in your state. But what I want to know is if gambling, if casino gambling is illegal, but we're letting the tribes run it in these states, how come we don't limit gambling to only the tribal members? Is that the the double standard we're going to have now? Oh, sure. Come on in. Bring in your money non-Indians, bring in your money, we'll take that. We'll let that happen. But don't let the non-Indians come in and smoke weed? Oh my goodness. So this is the latest development. The tribe burned down their crop. They said, we would rather burn down the crop than face the possibility of a raid where they would then come in and possibly destroy some of our equipment. Looks like somebody's been uh, listening to my show when I've uh, reported all the smash and grabs that happen where the DEA comes in and literally just smashes up the place, busts up cast registers and glass displays and TVs and just bust cameras, busts the place up and then never file charges on anyone because, you know, that would take money to prosecute. No, they just want to shut down the businesses. They want to make it difficult on people. And that's the same kind of bully tactics the DEA is applying now to these sovereign Indian nations. But they burned down their crop as a show of good faith that they're still willing to work with the feds. You know, there are times where I've fallen off the wagon. I'll let the listener determine whether or not it's a wise idea for Native Americans to trust the good faith of the federal government. Let that be a little AP history exercise for y'all. Happy 420, everyone, in the Mountain Time Zone. I'm Radical Russ. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back right after this. The Russ Belleville Show, where we don't change our position on decriminalization in an election year. Get Dot Buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. 
.buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Twain once said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Cannabis Chronicles. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Cannabis Chronicles. Normally on this segment, I'd be interviewing somebody in the uh, marijuana business, but today I'm going to use the segment to talk about the marijuana business and you know, uh, coming back from Ohio, one of the things I see building, right? I've I've long said, watch out, there's going to be a backlash. Watch out, the pendulum will swing back. Everybody's gotten high on the idea of the rapidly rising, you know, opinion polls and all that. And I've always warned, you know, that's good, that's all well and good, but watch out from where the backlash can come. And I think I'm starting to see where the backlash is coming from. And I think it has to do with the corporatization of marijuana. And I think that's where we're going to start to see backlash, not only from the public, but also from within our own community. And the latest story that brings this to mind comes out of the cannabis in Denver. Leafs by Snoop, the scoop on rapper's new weed brand. Now, I got no problem with Snoop Dogg want to have a, a weed brand and Willie having Willie's Reserve and Bob Marley having Marley Naturals and uh, who else is getting a brand out there? Tommy Chong's got his brands. Of course, it's all great. They're all longtime icons. I, I, I like Willie's better because I know Willie's at least put his money where his mouth is with marijuana reform. He's donated to normal for years, right? Don't know about the rest of them, but, but they helped to move it along with their culture and their art and all that. So no beef there, right? But here's where I got the, the issue. Uh, Snoop Dogg launched his new marijuana line at a private party in Denver last night at the home of John Lord. You're thinking, what, the, 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 the keyboard player, the late keyboard player? From, no, no, <laughs> not that one. Um, this is the home of Livewell owner John Lord. Livewell is one of the largest pot shops in and cultivators in Colorado. Remember, because they're vertically integrated out there and they will be selling Leafs by Snoop exclusively in Colorado for the first 30 days, after which the product will be available wholesale to other shops. So exclusive 30 day preview of Leafs by Snoop at Livewell. And uh, they're made under the Colorado marijuana license belonging to Beyond Broadway, which does business as Livewell. And will be growing all the brand's flour and manufacturing its edibles and concentrates. All right, what's the problem with that? Well, does that name live well? Does that ring a bell to anyone? Remember my story about the Denver Fair? The Denver County Fair and 
they had the the people that were handing out edibles, but they weren't activated edibles. They were just, you know, basically chocolate bars because they weren't allowed to display or hand out edibles. Uh, wasn't it Livewell uh, that had the problem at the fair? Remember, this is August 2014. They were sued by multiple plaintiffs in a class action lawsuit for distributing marijuana infused chocolates. They Now, they settled out of court, which means they paid. Right. Uh Allegedly, I can't tell you for sure. I wouldn't know for sure, but isn't that what settled usually means? Somebody got paid. But anyway, they, they were accused of passing out tainted, you know, not tainted, but, you know, medicated edibles when people thought they weren't medicated. Then earlier this year, they had 60,000 of their plants put on hold because their growers were using potentially dangerous pesticides. That had been banned for the use on marijuana. Not just, well, you know, the federal government didn't have a list of this, so we didn't know if we could use it. But we're talking Colorado's Department of Agriculture had banned these pesticides that Livewell had used. So, Snoop, this is who you want to be growing and making your stuff? The people that were, you know, dosing people without their knowledge? The people that were using pesticides and had their plants put on hold? I mean, I first heard about uh, this situation uh, from uh, is it Clarissa, I think, who, who's with the Cannabis uh, Consumers Coalition. I remember speaking to her in Denver about this uh, before it even broke uh, in, in, the, in the headlines. Now, they've moved to a new set of pesticides that have been certified. But in October, Two marijuana users in Colorado announced a lawsuit against Livewell over the use of potentially dangerous pesticides. Neither alleged they got sickened, but each said they would not have inhaled the product if they had known it had been treated with Eagle 20, which is another one of these pesticides that people are hating. So this is where, I mean, this is where I worry about a backlash is like you got guys like Snoop Dogg or uh, uh, Bob Marley or whoever uh, the family of Bob Marley uh, that they have this, this space in the pantheon of marijuana, but it's a position they achieved through celebrity and art and not necessarily for knowing a whole lot about the marijuana industry or marijuana reform. So I worry if you get a few high profile situations like this, where it can be shown where, where, you know, the opposition would say, see, there's the rapper Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg, the rapper, getting involved with the big marijuana company that got busted for pesticides and was dosing your kids at the county fair. I can see how these things can turn into moral panics. And folks, you do not want to suffer through a moral panic in this situation. It outweighs all the truth, facts, science, logic, and reason we can possibly muster. We've got to be very careful about how these businesses are developed from this point on. I know people will say, well, Russ, you supported Ohio 3. Yeah. And, and you know, looking at it, you can't always choose the people that are bringing legalization to you, can you? But once you got legalization, then we can be a little more discerning. Colorado's got the legalization. Let's make sure the legalization proceeds with our best foot forward. When we come back, you'll get my speech from last Thursday's Women Grow event in Columbus, Ohio. 
where I spoke to them about the success they achieved with Ohio Issue 3. That's right. Some success. Stick around. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The cannabis community is a diverse set of people from all walks of life, conservative and liberal, black and white, straight and gay, rich and poor, and everyone in between. Learn more about the people we are freeing from adult marijuana prohibition in our Cannabis Community Chat. My speech from Columbus, Ohio at the Women Grow event last week. Russ, I'll let you go and then I'm going to ask you some questions if you don't mind. No problem. Thank you. Thank you very much. Give it up for Lissa here and thank you for being here at the Women Grow event. My name is uh, Russ Belville. I'm known as Radical Russ Online. I am a talk radio host for CannabisRadio.com. I write for High Times. I write for uh, Alternate, Huffington Post, and MarijuanaPolitics.com. And for the past 10 years, it's been my pleasure to be a marijuana reform activist and media personality and travel all around the country meeting people like you that are fighting at different levels uh, for marijuana law reform. Now, this is my first time covering... Uh, a marijuana election in Ohio, and I want to say congratulations for getting 35.9% of the vote for legalization. Yes. The day after, I was consoling people. There was tears. There was sadness. Hearts were broken. Business plans were crushed. It was the end. It was over. We almost, we lost almost two to one. No, you won one out of three. You just joined a very exclusive club. Only six states in the United States have ever, ever voted on marijuana legalization. The four that have it now, Alaska, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, and California and Nevada have voted on statewide legalization. There will be again in 2016. So you're now just the seventh state to have ever voted on statewide marijuana legalization. And of those six states that have voted on statewide legalization, only one of them passed it on their first try. That was Washington. That's right. Washington's I-502 passed on its first try with 55.7% of the vote in 2012 with no home grow and a per se DUID. 
So it wasn't the best. In fact, of the four states that have legalization right now, the worst legalization. They only legalized an ounce of weed and only a quarter ounce of concentrate as compared to the rest of the states that have legalized more than that. So only one state got it right the very first time. And this was a state that had medical marijuana for 14 years. And not just medical marijuana, but really loosey-goosey open medical marijuana with dispensaries on every street corner and lots of people with recommendations. Of the other states that have voted to pass marijuana legalization, they've all failed at least once their first time around. And three of them, California, Oregon, and Nevada, have failed twice. They've had two statewide votes to fail. Way back in 1972, California had its first opportunity to vote on statewide marijuana legalization. This was before decrim. This was before even Oregon had decrimmed in 1973. In 1972, while the Gallup polls were sitting at about 16% for marijuana legalization, California put Prop 19, it was also called Prop 19, on the 1972 ballot and got 33.6% of the vote. So... Y'all got three points more than California did the first time they tried. Not bad. Oregon, when it first tried, was 1986. Right in the middle of Nancy Reagan and Just Say No. Oregon got 26.3%. The worst a statewide legalization has ever gotten. So you're ahead of Oregon, where they started. And then as we move forward into the 2000s, there were attempts to legalize marijuana in Alaska, Nevada, and and Colorado. All failed. Nevada's first shot was 39%. Colorado's first shot was 41 Nevada's second shot was 44 Colorado's second shot was 44 So you're really only three to seven or nine points away from where Colorado, Nevada, and uh, uh, Colorado, Nevada, and the other one I just mentioned were in the 2000s, right? So Ohio has actually kind of made it to somewhere between 1993 and 2006, Yeah. (laughs) All right. And I mentioned how uh, California and Oregon had multiple failures. The second failure in California was Prop 19 in 2010. They were polling at 55 to 60 percent in the lead up to their election. And right before their election, Governor Schwarzenegger had an October surprise. Yeah, I am going to change the law and decriminalize marijuana so you cannot be arrested for it. I know, lousy Schwarzenegger, but he passed this decrim, and it kind of undercut some of the Prop 19 support. And Prop 19 ended up, getting, ended up getting like 46%. But even that wasn't a loss because Prop 19 in California in 2010 reignited this national discussion about legalization. It forced the entire country to start thinking about legalization as a viable strategy. And with the polls coming out saying it could have passed and it was close to pass, That really lit a fire underneath the legislators and all of these politicians as well to understand that this is now a serious issue. They can't just laugh us off like Barack Obama did in 2009. (laughs) I don't know what this says about the online community. (laughs) Those stokers, those stoners. They can't laugh us off anymore. We're getting poll numbers. We're getting initiatives on the ballot. And in 2012, we succeeded finally. We finally legalized some amount of marijuana. Washington passed its I-502 with 55.7% of the vote. Colorado passed its Amendment 64 with 55.4% of the vote. And I was there in Oregon where our Measure 80 got 46% of the vote. Y'all feel crushed here in Ohio losing your vote? Imagine watching the state to the north of you passing it 10 points more 
by a 10-point margin while you're failing by an 8-point margin. That just, oh, man, that hurt for so long, knowing that seven miles across the river, they're going to enjoy legal marijuana, and in Oregon, we're still going to be stuck with it. And it was also a crushing defeat because in 2012, while all of the major organizations were pouring time and money and attention into Washington and Colorado, Oregon was kind of off here like a bastard stepchild. Nobody would pay attention to us. And part of the reason why? Didn't like our business plan. We had a business plan that concentrated all the wholesale marijuana into one uh, appointed board chosen by the growers who had set the prices. Didn't like the business plan. Failed. There's a lesson that could have been learned, huh? <laughs> but we were uh, left and abandoned and not given any money and not giving any attention. And we ended up losing by eight points. And it just felt like, God, if we'd only had some help, we could have made it. And after we lost, we were threatened in Oregon. We were actually threatened by the head of MPP in a note, in a, a memo that was sent to all the reformers. Don't you dare try to go for 2014. 2014's an off-year election. You'll never win. 2014, there's going to be a lower depressed turnout. And if you lose in 2014, it's going to ruin everything for 2016. And if you lose in 2014, we won't help you in 2016. You'll be cut off. Well, Oregonians don't take kindly to that kind of stuff. So uh, we went ahead. We found some funders outside of the national organizations. And we won in 2014, just two years after our heartbreaking electoral defeat. And not only did we win, we won with the greatest percentage that has ever passed a statewide legalization, 56.1%. So the point for Ohio would be, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And look at the positives. For one, you've learned how not to run a legalization campaign. <laughs> right? Now, I, I've gotten some notoriety in this state because, like, what the hell is this guy from Oregon coming in here telling us? And what does he care? And blah, 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 blah. I've been online. I've been called a shill for responsible Ohio. If I had a dollar for every time I've been called a shill for responsible Ohio, I'd actually have the money that they accuse me of getting paid. <laughs> but no. Uh, my, my stance is pretty simple. I'm an old, long-haired rock and roll musician. I know it doesn't show. <laughs> I miss my hair. I had hair halfway down my back, playing rock music in the 90s. Horns, horns, baby. So for me, when I was buying weed, it was from the guy. You guys know the guy, right? That was my monopoly. The guy. Because under prohibition, you don't have any other choices. You don't get to go to Yelp or the phone book and find which dealer you're going to go to. You live under this monopoly of the dealer. The dealer who charges you $300 an ounce for something that cost him 25 to grow. The dealer who shows up with a short bag laden with pesticides 40 minutes late. So to me, I don't care who's making the money. Can I possess it? Can I smoke it? Can I grow it? Can I buy it? It's all I need. But that's not to say the economic side's not important. And I understand why people didn't like this particular initiative and fought hard against it. I totally understand that. And now that it's over, we can take that lesson and go, you know what? Come to think of it, this whole 10 grower thing, maybe we shouldn't have done that. And that's fine. We fight these hard battles and we get angry about it. Oh, man, we beat bust heads and flame wars on Twitter and Facebook, but... I hope everyone understands that you can disagree with someone's opinion vehemently. It doesn't mean you have to hate their guts. And we're really all on the same side, aren't we? 
My enemy is not someone who was against issue three. My enemy is not a rich person. My enemy is not a corporation. My enemy is a police officer who can still slap cuffs on me because I smell like weed. That's my enemy. That's what I want to fight. So as we move forward, let's learn the lessons we've learned from issue three. Let's reconnect rebuild our networks, rebuild our friendships, rebuild our alliances to move forward, put this defeat in the past and recognize the good that came from it. You just got over a million people in your state for the very first time to come out on an off, off year election for a controversial, poorly worded ballot initiative with economic flaws headed by a cartoon mascot. And you got one out of three voters to accept that? Your next thing should fly like an eagle. Thank you. I'm Radical Russ. All right, folks. Radical Russ here for Cannabis Radio. That's the end of our coverage here for CannabisRadio.com. We're going to go offline. But I want to thank everyone listening on CannabisRadio.com. And remember, the Russ Belleville Show comes to you live every weekday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on CannabisRadio.com. I'm Radical Russ. For everyone here in Columbus, Ohio, thanks for listening. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. And we're clear. Great time there at the Woodlands backyard. And if you could hear in the background, this bar had mini bowling lanes. There's the damnedest thing, these little tiny pins and bowling balls you could hold in your... It was like bocce ball almost, I guess. I don't, I'm not even sure what bocce ball is, to be honest. It's always interesting giving a rousing speech when there's bowling in the background. <laughs> got to tell you though it's not even on my top 10 list of worst venues in the world not even close hey when we come back we're going to talk yeah i know more about ohio i gotta work it out what can i say you're tuned into the russ belleville show the voice of the marijuana nation. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Tell you one thing, it's tough being 14. You know what I mean? There's a lot of tough things out in the streets today. I've been around and tried everything. There's a new drug called crack out there. Been on my own for over a year now. Crack's made from cocaine, but it's more addicting than cocaine. And some girls who get hooked on crack will walk a long way to get it. One thing I really don't know about is tomorrow.
This has been the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. To cure this sort of reefer madness, listen to the Russ Belville Show every weekday on 420radio.org. Adam Hand of Handmade Apparel produces quality custom designs for t-shirts, hats, and other apparel. Handmade Apparel is the official design shop for 420 Radio, among many clients who rely on Adam Hand for everything from short-run custom projects to full-run clothing lines. Visit handmadeapparel.biz to browse the selection of handmade gear or to get a personal quote for your own designs. Handmade Apparel, a proud supporter of 420radio.org. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. So I have to talk a little bit more about Ohio, and I know there's a lot of folks out there that wish I would stop talking about Ohio. Get over it. You lost. Crying over spilt milk. And so forth. And the thing is, is I don't see that I lost anything. I saw that we all lost because prohibition continues in Ohio. I didn't lose anything. I live in Oregon. I live in Portland, Oregon. I live on the Green Mile in Portland, Oregon. I can walk 30 minutes in any direction and hit four or five legal pot shops. I didn't lose anything. We lost because marijuana is not legal. And just because 65, 64% of the voters disagree with me on an issue, that doesn't lead me to say, oh, well, you know what? I was wrong. No, I just have failed to convince enough people I was right. Because I still believe I am right. And I still believe that ending marijuana prohibition is paramount. And it trumps any economic considerations. I, I can only imagine, you know, uh, we've got this Emancipation Proclamation we'd like you to sign, Mr. Lincoln. But after you sign it, there will be this system of sharecropping in which white landowners will make money on the backs of uh, uh, indentured servitude there, in a sense. So better not sign it. I, <laughs> I mean, it is supposed to be the uh, worst uh, pu- public policy decision since slavery, right? It is supposed to be the new Jim Crow, right? Would we not overturn slavery or Jim Crow because of the business plan? I digress. To me, I still feel I'm right. And I still feel that the continuance of marijuana prohibition leads to horrendous outcomes. And nobody for me could paint a more horrendous outcome for what would happen if a monopoly got involved with growing marijuana. Not the selling. That would be independent and competitive in fact the growing would be competitive among 10 entities but you know regardless monopoly uh what would be the terrible outcome of that let's see um it'd be legal i could wake up i could go to a pot shop buy weed go home and smoke it and not have to worry about cops yeah that'd be terrible but anyway 
supposedly something terrible was going to happen if this monopoly got power. If somehow Nick Lachey got more rich, then something terrible would happen. And I just want people to ask themselves if it would have been as terrible as what just happened in Green, Ohio. Reporter Adam Faris writes on Cleveland.com that two men walked into a 27-year-old man's apartment and shot him five times in the chest in a drug deal involving a pound of marijuana, according to investigators' records and the man's girlfriend. Man happened, uh, 27-year-old girlfriend, Tia Gilbert, uh, and his daughter slept in the adjacent apartment. Uh, there's two, there's a man being accused of being a part of the robbery and another man fatally shot, uh, the 27 year old Corey Siebel was his name. The girlfriend Gilbert said that the victim Siebel dealt marijuana, but not as a way to make money, but because he believed the drug was a better alternative to prescription drugs. He sold no other drugs, just weed, weed seller. Girlfriend says, quote, he was just an old hippie. Well, he's 27. I don't know how old he is. This is no drug dealer. This was a guy who helped people get their medicine. He helped people with anxiety and other illnesses who didn't want their medicine to come from prescriptions. End quote. The victim, Siebel, mentored some of his regular customers. He also helped them change their diets, quit smoking cigarettes, or encouraged them when no one else would. The girlfriend said he's a caregiver. He would help people get what they needed. We had cancer patients, people with PTSD, anxiety. These are not just kids that wanted to get high and smoke weed. He put his life on the line and he helped them. End quote. Gilbert said that Siebel, the victim, uh, became disillusioned with prescription drugs after spending a good portion of his childhood taking Adderall. As a teenager, he watched his father die of cancer while being treated with prescription drugs and other strong medication. Gilbert said, quote, I lost the love of my life over $3,600 and a stupid flower. That's why this should be legal. He shouldn't have to risk his life to do this. Shot five times uh, over a deal with two men came come over to the apartment to buy a pound of marijuana. A pound of marijuana. <laughs> a pound of marijuana. Pulp Fiction style. Shoot him right dead in the chest over a pound of marijuana. Now, I'll, I know I'll already have people complaining. Well, you know that wouldn't have been legal under this. And you know that that couldn't have possibly been changed by the law and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sorry, I don't. I don't know that. What I do know is that a pound of marijuana is worth shooting someone over because it's illegal. That's the incontrovertible fact in this story. Because marijuana is illegal, this 27-year-old man is slaughtered in his home over it. Now, you legalize an ounce of possession. You legalize over a thousand shops where you can buy this stuff. You legalize the home-licensed growing of four plants and possession of up to a half pound. And the relative worth and need for risk to acquire that plant decreases dramatically. This is not to say that in some post-legalization future, hell, even out here in Oregon, that we might not have home invasion robberies, people busting in and stealing weed. 
But you cannot deny that the prohibition of marijuana is what leads to that circumstance. And it was the prohibition of marijuana that was approved on election day a week ago in the state of Ohio. No matter how you want to slice it, if you're opposed to monopolies, it was the wrong plan. There'll be a better plan coming along. This one wasn't good enough. We can't enshrine this kind of crony capitalism into the Constitution. Please write that down on a nice piece of stationery and mail that to Tia Gilbert. Mail that to Tia Gilbert so she can read that at the funeral of Corey Siebel, the 27-year-old man who was just shot five times in the chest over a pound of marijuana. Gilbert says, quote, we had planned to get married in six months, buy a farm and grow our food. He loved his garden. He spent all summer out there with his daughter. It was something we all did as a family, end quote. Quote, they took a father, a friend, and a husband, not just a drug dealer that had had his neighbors worried. Maybe they would have talked to him. He'd have shown him his dirt bike or his garden. He'd have given them the shirt off his back if they'd asked. But because it's illegal, because there's no way this man could have gotten a home grow license. Now, I read the comments in this thing. There's 300 over three, 400 comments on this on Cleveland.com. Lots of them, the typical internet troll level drug dealer deserved to die type comments. And who you believe uh, who's pulling your leg here that he was with the patients and he was trying to help the people with pain, you know, scare quote city, right? Lots of that in there. But let's take this girlfriend at her word and suppose this is a guy who was home growing marijuana in order to sell it at cost, make up his cost to the people that needed medical marijuana. That's something that under the amendment that just failed, he'd have been able to do. And lots of people would have been able to do. And there would have been medical marijuana that would have come along with that, funded by attacks on the recreational pot shops, so that the people who needed the medical marijuana maybe not even have to deal with Mr. Siebel and his home grow. But even if they did, the risk, the, the danger that anybody would be under is significantly less under legalization. Nobody from the proposed monopoly was going to come over to your house and shoot you five times in the chest. But prohibition dealers will. And I know people get pissed at me when I talk like this, but you know what? When when we said it was the new Jim Crow, when we said it was the worst policy since slavery, I actually believe that. I actually live my life as if that's true. Because I do believe it's true. I believe the prohibition of marijuana erodes more of our liberties in a greater way than any other policy since slavery or Japanese internment. So I can't elevate. And the other thing that's bothering me lately is this, this notion that marijuana legalization is also supposed to solve all the other ills of this 
non-progressive society that we're supposed to solve the problem of corporatization or, or big money in politics <laughs> or, or big corporate, you know, big box stores. We're supposed to solve that too. Let's not have it be too big and cut the little guy out. And also we're going to solve the problem of money in politics. We're not going to have that be a problem. And also we're going to fix racial disparities in economics, right? We're going to fix all that too. Uh, look, I got in this to legalize marijuana. How, how does that happen? Do we le- do we end up legalizing marijuana? That's what I want to see happen. And when we legalize marijuana, I'm more than willing to put a lot of effort into fixing income inequality and money in politics and racism. I please let's do those things. But to me, not solving it piece by piece, right? Let's solve the illegal marijuana part. Let's get it legal by virtually any means necessary. To me, the, the, the baseline at this point is Washington's I-502 and the medical marijuana laws on the East Coast. If they're no worse than those, we should be supporting them. We've already accepted those baselines. Those should be our floor at this point. We should get it as legal as possible, as quickly as possible, because I'm telling you, there is a backlash that's going to happen, a pendulum that's going to swing back. And, and you know, maybe I'm the one, I'm the chicken little. Maybe I'm the one who's predicting gloom and doom. Don't worry, Russ, the guy that polls at 58%, everything's fine. And what I worry about is that people interpret these poll numbers based on what they think how their framework's right like oh 90% of the people support medical marijuana yeah but if a large proportion of those people their frame of medical marijuana is dying cancer patient AIDS patient kid with epilepsy yeah that's why you're getting your 90% numbers bring them on down to Venice Beach and see some sign twirlers and a line of skateboarders getting their card for anxiety and then poll them is this medical marijuana something you'd support bet you'd have a hard time pulling a majority Anyway, that's all the time we got for Hour 1. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. Hour 2 is coming up next. Toker Talk Radio. You can dial in live at 971-533-7111. For everyone here at Roller J Studios and CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down super. Young people everywhere are making a difference. Special Olympics has changed my life so dramatically. It's helped me a lot to be fearless, you know, in the real world. My friends I've made through Special Olympics are the best people I've ever met in my life. I truly realize that what I'm doing is for a great cause. And it's not about disabilities, but it's about celebrating their abilities. I've made a difference. Now it's your turn to make a difference. Get involved at specialolympics.org. I'm Talia. As the mother of two young children, there is nothing closer to my heart than the health of our babies. That's why I'm asking you to help put an end to premature birth. Each year, 
more than 15 million babies are born too soon and more than 1 million will die. Visit facebook.com slash worldprematuritytoday to find out how you can make a difference in your community and around the world. Tony Stewart wins the Cobalt Tools 400. This is Tony Stewart here to tell you about a way veterans and service members can get on the fast track to well-deserved benefits. It's called eBenefits, a website created by VA and DOD that gives veterans, service members, and families instant access to more than 40 benefits and services. It's a way to serve those who have served us. To get started, just go to www.ebenefits.va.gov or just do a search for VA eBenefits. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. There is a part of our world where toxic chemicals and carcinogens are leaching into our environment. It's the ground underneath every littered cigarette butt. Let's stop the toxic litter. Learn more at RethinkButts.org. Brought to you by Legacy and Leave No Trace. The Amazon's rainforest is being cut down so fast that by 2030, 55% of it could be completely wiped out. The Earth's forests can't speak up when they need help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit WorldWildlife.org. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can toke. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, everybody. It's hour two, Toker Talk Radio, and the phone lines are open. Call me now. <laughs> it's 971-533-7111. I got to tell you, I love doing a live radio show because my listeners oftentimes help me to bring you what Paul Harvey would call the rest of the story. So we did this story. I just ranted on this Corey Siebel story in Ohio. This young man, 27 years old, gunned down in his home by two men who had come over to buy a pound of marijuana. Shot him five times in the chest. Over a pound of weed and 3600 bucks. And the story focused on the girlfriend, Tia Gilbert, talking about how he was uh, supplying medicine to the sick and he only sold weed. He didn't sell anything else and so forth. So... 
I go on the rant, tell the story. I get done with the break here. I go to the chat room. Jess in our chat room says, go check out this guy's last Facebook post. (laughs) Oh, okay. So I click over to Facebook and here it is. Corey Siebel, November 3rd. This was 627 a.m. So the morning of the election a week ago. Support your local economy and stop giving power to massive corporate entities. Vote no on issue three. Wow. So a black market marijuana grower was against issue three. And the following week got shot and killed in a prohibition related deal. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached our maximum daily allowance of irony. Wow. Wow. Just, okay. All right. I, I better stop. <laughs> I better, I better stop this uh, line for now because, um, wow, the irony in that is just unbelievable. Or not, I guess, depending on how you look at things. But uh, coming up in this hour, I want to talk about some other stories in the marijuana news. Of course, uh, you've got now the uh, Sean Parker initiative that's uh, happening in California. And now uh, CCHI is out. The Jack Herrer initiative is out. And if anything, you could almost say that these two things are the opposite of each other as far as legalization goes, as far as who's who's behind them. The billionaire initiative versus the complete grassroots initiative. I mean, CCHI is as grassroots as it gets. And in between, we had all sorts of other different levels of the uh, legalization teams out there, of lawyers, of activists, reform organizations. It's like... Six, seven, something like that. So we'll uh, we'll be talking about that, about what's happening now for California. We talked about that Massachusetts story yesterday where uh, Boston.com brings up how there's the grassroots group, Bay State Repeal, and then there's the Marijuana Policy Project group, the Campaign to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol, or CRIMLA. So... There's um, a, a dynamic going on in Massachusetts that's, that also, frankly, is going on in Arizona. There's a, a, a grassroots group there versus an MPP Kremla there as well. There was the same thing going on in Maine, regulate Maine and MPP's Kremla in Maine, but MPP has folded their Kremla. <laughs> Yes, make sure you fold your Kremla, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, fold folded their Kremla and have now worked are now working on the regulate Maine initiative. They've actually gotten behind the grassroots initiative, but Maine's a special place, folks. That's a that's like Maine's one of them places where it's like, wait, it's not legal yet, really? That's a surprise. Uh, very weed friendly kind of a place, so we'll see how that works. Um, Michigan, I think. If, if I remember correctly, there's three groups in Michigan. I don't think any of them are an MPP group. I think they're all three grassroots groups, but I could be wrong. So this, I mean, we worry about this from the perspective of dividing our resources and dividing the electorate. 
and, and wasting time and money and effort where it doesn't need to be wasted. And that's what's been predicted is that we've gone from, you know, should we legalize marijuana to how are we going to be legalize marijuana? And now I think we, we run the danger here of, of our electorate splintering into all these different groups that will support different levels. Like I'm at the level where I'll support anything that ends arrests and helps patients and doesn't make life worse for stoners. I'm all for that, but we're going to have different levels as this continues. Don't touch that dial. We're right back to Radical Russ in just a few minutes. Hey, does anybody really have a dial anymore? You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. We've also got some good news coming up for veterans and their access to medical marijuana. And coming up at the 20 after break, Electric Bob will be calling in. First time I've talked to Bob since our Arizona adventure. We switched off of daylight savings time and it messed him up because Arizona doesn't do that. So he called in an hour earlier. (laughs) It's like, dude, why are you calling in so early? Oh, yeah. Stupid daylight savings. Stick around. More Russ Belville Show coming up after this. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Hey, I'm Herb Thrasher, host of the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour, live every Friday night at 8 Pacific. Tune in for two hours of metal marijuana mayhem featuring exclusive interviews with the latest bands, highlights of live shows, and the latest in marijuana news. It's the Herb Flasher Flower Hour, Friday nights at 8 p.m. at 420 Radio, or catch the replay on Saturday nights. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. All right, welcome. 
Welcome back, everyone. Radical Russ here. The Toker Talk radio segment of the Russ Belleville Show. Hour two. That means our phone lines are open live at 971-533-7111. This is music from Lugmirden. It's called Hashishan Dreams. That's right. Hashishan Dreams. This is some of our Electric Tuesday music we play on the Russ Belleville Show. That's right. We got music. On the show, at least for now. I'm, I'm not sure if it'll stay. <laughs> I, uh, licensing stuff, folks. we got to figure out all this licensing stuff. But um, coming up at 20 after, we got Electric Bob calling in, and he's going to bring us some more Electric Tuesday music. So stay tuned for that. Get your 420 groove on. Got some good news coming out of the United States Senate. The Senate has approved funding that allows veterans to access medical marijuana. Uh, the Senate today passed the Military Construction and Veterans Affairs Appropriations Bill, which includes language to allow Veterans Administration doctors to recommend medical marijuana to their patients in states where medical marijuana is legal. Yes. So the language was included as an amendment in the Senate Appropriations Committee last May. And uh, this access amendment was sponsored by Republican Senator Steve Daines of Montana and Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon. That's better. That's right. My senator, my senator sponsored this. It passed the committee with an 1812 bipartisan vote. It will be now negotiated with the House of Version as part of the omnibus spending bill. So here we are the day before Veterans Day. That's right. Veterans Day is tomorrow, so I really shouldn't have had to do a show anyway, right? But uh, tomorrow's Veterans Day, and uh, we get this currently because the VA is prohibited from completing any of the medical marijuana forms in the legal medical marijuana states. This amendment would allow them to recommend medical marijuana. And this would be so huge for our veterans who are getting their care through the VA, and so many of them that are dealing with chronic pain issues, traumatic brain injury issues, uh, post-traumatic syndromes, uh, all of these things that can be helped by this. Kudos to our Senate for approving this amendment. And uh, as it moves back to the House for negotiations, I want to encourage all of you to get in touch with your representative. Do you know who your representative is? Do you? My representative is Earl Blumenauer. My senator is Jeff Merkley, and my other senator is Ron Wyden. You should know those three names. You should know your two senators and your one federal representative. Now, speaking of your federal representatives, interesting story, again, about Ohio. (laughs) This one's in the Christian Science Monitor. How Ohio's marijuana vote could tip the federal decriminalization bid. And... The theory, the gist of this article is, does this near two to one loss for Ohio issue three influence marijuana policy at the federal level? Now, everything you're hearing out of MPP, DPA, other people that have been releasing press releases on this is this is an outlier. It was a kooky election. Just, you know, uh, the Monopoly thing. Nobody liked the Monopoly thing. It was it was weird. Uh, this has no effect whatsoever moving forward on legalization. And anyway, it's just a weird outlier. Pay no attention to this electoral drubbing over here. On the contrary, these uh, writers for Christian Science Monitor, actually writer Jordan Ragusa, 
asked the question, could the defeat of Ohio's issue three influence marijuana policy at the federal level? For example, efforts to eliminate federal felony charges for non-medical marijuana or to influence related questions like DEA funding, drug sentencing guidelines and so forth. And the author theorizes that, yeah, (laughs) yeah, big loss in Ohio certainly could affect those chances. It goes back to an article that Dan Smith, Josh Huter, and the author wrote in American Politics Research back in 2011. And this wasn't about marijuana in particular, but it was whether or not the passage or failure of statewide ballot measures affect how members of Congress vote. In other words, do state ballot measures influence policy outcomes at the federal level? And the theory behind this is that much more so than polls, an election allows a politician to drill down to the district by district level to know exact precinct by precinct to know exactly what their constituents think about a particular issue. And if you know your, where your district is and you can find out how they voted on something, well, then you want to be on that side so you get reelected in your district. So they, they decided to take a look at this. They decided to, you know, kind of do a little bit of research. And so they had, uh, let's see how they tested it. We, look, we took the results of statewide ballot measures on three issues. Regulating campaign finance, raising the minimum wage, and banning same-sex marriage. And compared that to how lawmakers voted on those issues. Okay? So find the states that passed those three things. I mean, nothing to do with weed. Find how they voted on those things. And then did that affect the federal votes following a win or a loss? And what they found is that their hypo- according to their article, our hypothesis appears to be partly correct. Members of the House do vote in ways that appear to be influenced by how their constituents voted on ballot measures. But that's not true for senators. And yeah, senators, you're you're being voted on by the whole state and you only got to run for election every six years. So it wouldn't have as much of an influence, but you're running every two years in a very localized district and your district votes overwhelmingly against marijuana legalization. That could affect how you're going to vote on the next Hinchy Rohrbacher thing or whatever marijuana banking thing or things that have to make it through the House of Representatives. He concludes by saying Ohio's decision on marijuana, in other words, has national implications. National implications. And um, they they pointed out, they did get the people that pointed out that said, hey, look, you know, it's, it was a monopoly thing. This was his response to the monopoly thing. I still think Ohio's congressional delegation will look at issue three's defeat as a piece of information when they're trying to decide what their constituents want. I maintain that the vast majority of votes for or against issue three were ultimately about marijuana legalization. Indeed, it seems unlikely to me that 36% voted in favor of monopolies. (laughs) Yeah. Won't somebody please think of the children? But here's the killer point. If you're a lawmaker trying to decide where your constituents stand, it's telling that pro-legalization voters were persuaded to vote against that issue because of something unrelated to legalization. I think that gives lawmakers some good information how much pro-legalization constituents care about the issue. (laughs) Absolutely. 
Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. If you're an adult who enjoys a good beer, there's a similar product you might want to know about. One without all the calories and serious health problems. Less toxic so it doesn't cause hangovers or overdose deaths, and it's not linked to violence or reckless behavior. Marijuana. Less harmful than alcohol, and time to treat it that way. For more information, visit MarijuanaIsSafer.org. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, Handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Everyone knows music and marijuana go together. So let's wind up our 20 after break with the Russ Belleville Show's Daily Toker Tunes, the best in pod safe 420 music from around the web. Today is Electric Tuesday, featuring the latest in electronic dance music and other cutting-edge genres. Now, sit back and enjoy your Daily Toker Tunes. All right, welcome back, everybody. Hope you're enjoying your 420 break. Uh, 420 out here in the Pacific time zone, it might be... 520 where you're at, depending on whether your state has daylight savings time or not. <laughs> Welcome back. It's uh, Electric Bob on the show. How you doing, Bob? I'm doing good. Yeah, Arizona does not observe uh, any daylight savings time, so I, I I always get mixed up at this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> so it, well, you're back, uh, what, 520 now? You're st- you're yeah, trying- 520. All right, so you're back in the mountain time zone. So you've left us. You've left us for this brief period of time, but that's okay. No matter what time of day it is, it's hot in Arizona. Hey, it was a it was a great time down there in Arizona, though, for that Southwest Cannabis Conference. And I got to give you a big shout out and thumbs up for all the work you did while we were down there. No problem, man. I had a freaking blast. Yeah, it was. Uh, how about that house uh, we were all staying in there? We we did karaoke. It had, it had its own house karaoke system, for God's sake. Had its own theater room. For- <laughs> I, I never, we, I never did use that theater room. 
And I never used it either, Damn. unfortunately. But we did get to watch uh, World Cup uh, rugby rugby semifinals with an Australian. Yes, that, that was fun. He was a nice guy. <laughs> You're always going to get a better uh, grasp of the sport watching it with someone for whom it's like one of their native type sports. Uh, I love that kind of stuff. It was a great time. So how is everything going with the uh, record label? Uh, everything's doing great, man. Doing doing real well. I'm going to uh, next month or this month, if, uh, depending on money circumstances, I found someone who I can get print shirted up, uh, uh, shirts printed up for uh, pretty cheap. Very cool. And tell folks the name of the, the label and how they can find out more uh, about you. I have two record labels. Uh, one of them is Dark Till Dawn Records. You can find us on SoundCloud. It's uh, You can just type in Google Dark Till, T-I-L, not T-I-L-L, records, and uh, you can type us in Google and find us. And I run another one called Broken Souls Recordings, which uh, you can also find. We can, uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, Bandcamp. I'm uh, working to get us on iTunes and Beatport and Juno Download and all that good stuff. Right on. So Dark Till Dawn and uh, Broken Souls. Those are the two yes. things you need to be looking up. And it's uh, S-O-L-E-S. Right. S-O-L-E-S. Like the soles of your shoes. Yes. Right on, man. All right. So, Bob, tell us about this uh, tune we got coming up. And uh, is this one of on one of your labels? No, this is uh, off of uh, Warp Recordings. Uh, this is uh, Boards of Canada. It's off their 2006 record. It's um, very, very mellow, very like nostalgic sounding. It's just uh, one of these songs that I just I love listening to and uh, getting roll, rolling up a fat one and lighting it up, just listening to some tunes. All right. Well, let's do that right now. It's called uh, Satellite Anthem Icarus. Did I get that right? Yes. And it's uh, the Boards of Canada. Are yes. Right on. They're, they're out of Ireland. They're out of Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> They're called Boards of yeah, Canada. It's, uh, it's two. It's two brothers out of Ireland. That's like Boston being from Schenectady and Kansas being from Arkansas. I mean, that ain't right. You can't do that. Chicago had to be from Chicago, didn't they? I don't. They could have been from Montana. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week, Russ.
We're having some technical difficulties here at Roll the J Studios. The computers are locking up, so I will do my best to keep you informed and entertained as I engage in a, uh, a bunch of reboot processes. What fun this will be! Uh, we'll see what have to see what's going on here, but um, I think I think something uh, caused that uh, caused that song to get upset. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with it. We'll see if we can fix that here uh, at Roll of Jazz. There we are. Dot Buzz Back is in the, the second platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot Buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. You're listening to 420 Radio. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific for Planet Green Trees, podcasting at planetgreentrees.com. The best resource for everything related to Michigan medical marijuana with your host, attorney Michael Comorn. Check our online listings for Planet Green Trees with Michael Comorn from planetgreentrees.com. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. connected that's some of the best science communicators out there and one of course right here across the sea of space the stars 
are others. We have traveled this way before, and there is much to be learned. We're all connected. That, of course, uh, the late Carl Sagan, whose birthday was yesterday. Happy Sagan Day to everybody. Peace, science, logic, and reason to all of you. So, uh, of course, Carl Sagan was the Jet Propulsion Laboratory scientist who had the 1980s TV show Cosmos. I was 12 years old when Cosmos came out, and it had a huge impact in my life as far as respect for science and understanding of nature and the cosmos and that curiosity that I think many of us share. And I think it's telling that Carl Sagan was a uh, cannabis consumer all his life and a fairly frequent one at that and attributed a lot of his breakthroughs to his use of cannabis that, that freed up his mind, put him in a different state to appreciate things in a different way. And it's also telling to me that Carl Sagan and his wife, Ann Dryan, put together the disc that's on the Voyager spacecraft, the farthest flung human artifact in history. The Voyager spacecraft. I remember when this launched, wasn't it like 77 or 79, I think, when Voyager? Late 70s. I was a kid, really into astronomy, really digging it. And we were launching a spacecraft that would go take a look at Jupiter and Saturn. Well, that spacecraft still going. It's still kicking. They didn't expect it to live this long. It's still going. And it made its way past Pluto already, past the orbit of Pluto. It's out beyond our solar system. And on that Voyager spacecraft is a golden LP disc. And on that disc is a message in a bottle that Sagan used to call it. A message in the bottle to the aliens. The aliens ever find this craft and, and you know, it could wander around space for billions of years. Space is vast. Suppose some aliens come upon this thing. They, they get this disc and what it's got is it's written, first of all, in a sort of a mathematical language that Sagan surmised any intelligent starfaring beings would be able to decrypt. Right. Some basics, some, you know, the golden ratio, the you know, pi and all these numer numerical constants, make a code out of that. Go with it. Right. But he also recorded on this disc the sounds of Earth. The sounds of whale songs and elephant trumpet and monkeys screeching and crickets on a fall night and waterfalls and just the, the sounds of Earth. And greetings in, I think it was like 50 some odd languages from around the planet. And also on that is a recording of Anne Dryan's heartbeat. Carl Sagan's wife, who still lives, who, who is executive producer of the most recent Cosmos with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Her heartbeat is recorded on that disc. And I think there's something to be said for when you're trying to figure out Who's going to write the message in the bottle to the aliens that you get the pot smoker for that gig? <laughs> Let's get Carl. <laughs> hey, Carl, come here. <laughs> Who's going to talk to aliens? Let's get Carl. He'll figure it out. <laughs> what do you smoke? What strain do you smoke prior to writing up the golden disc? 
Well, this could be heard by beings billions and billions of years in the future. <laughs> I don't know how it's done, but good work, Carl Sagan. Happy Carl Sagan Day to everyone out there listening. And um, if you don't know about Carl Sagan's past as a marijuana consumer, look up Mr. X on the web. Mr. X. So uh, Carl Sagan, Mr. X, you'll find it. All right, so here we go again. Another story out of Ohio. This is off of WJTV, Channel 12. Outrage after eight-year-old Ohio girl caught with marijuana at school. This is in Pataskala, which I now know how to say correctly. (laughs) Not Pataskala, Pataskala. So in Pataskala, Ohio... Uh, the WCMH staff report that the police say the eight-year-old girl was caught last week in the bathroom at Pataskala Elementary School trying to light a baggie of pot. Aww, how cute. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> it's like, I, I love these stories about, you know, the kids who get the weed and they take it to school. Oh, no. They're taking the reefers to school to deal to the rest of the kids. She doesn't even know what it is. She doesn't even know how it's used. She's trying to light a baggie. This is just a kid who got a hold of a baggie from the house in the, the folks house or somewhere. And was curious. And why would she do something like this? Well, partially because we don't have legal weed and an open dialogue with our children about the realities of drugs. So they're left to be curious and they're left to try to figure it out on their own. But the funny thing about this, and and, and I didn't want to bring this up specifically because it's Ohio and Ohio just lost a legalization thing, because this is really a story that is broader than that, right? Because this could be, this doesn't have to be Ohio. This story could come out of Wisconsin. This story could come out of Iowa. It doesn't matter where it's coming out of. You're going to get a similar story somewhere where a kid finds a baggie and brings it to school. It's going to happen. It could happen anywhere in America. The thing that's funny to me is when these stories happen, the police chief, the superintendent of the school, whoever it is, you know, gets on the media and says, see, this just shows you why we must oppose efforts to legalize recreational marijuana. (laughs) It's right here. Let me, let me get the, let me get the, uh, uh, the quote. James Abbott of Amanda, Ohio, says, quote, where did it come from and how do you stop it from getting back into kids' hands? Abbott, the grandfather of six, says the case makes him even more concerned about the push to legalize recreational marijuana. He says if it had been one of his kids, quote, look out, grandpa's on the rampage, end quote. But that's the thing that amuses me is that this happens under prohibition and the first reaction from people is well see this shows you why we can't legalize marijuana <laughs> like what whoa wait wait a minute wait a minute that uh makes no sense whatsoever. yeah <laughs> sorry logic fail this happened under prohibition you've got prohibition in your state it's illegal to have weed it's illegal to sell weed it's illegal to grow weed it's illegal all commerce in weed is illegal And yet, an eight-year-old girl got a hold of a baggie and tried to light it in her elementary school restroom. 
That's on your watch. That's under prohibition. Why does this not make people go, well, you know what? That's pretty messed up. Maybe we ought to regulate this stuff. (laughs) Right? Why is that not the reaction? Why is the reaction? Well, the drug war is not working. We better wage it harder. (laughs) We, We better make it extra illegal. I know. Make it double secret illegal. That'll show them. Now, maybe... Like, what, you want to make us Singapore? Let's make us Singapore. Anybody caught with the smallest speck of weed is executed, right? Held in prison for decades. Really think that's going to work? Really think that's going to stop things? I mean, you might, yeah. Hey, if it were a death penalty, if I left my bag of weed out and a kid got into it and took it to school, yeah, okay, maybe I lock up the bag of weed. After a few executions happen, (laughs) right? People are going to die. That's what's weird about this story to me. The the reaction that it makes you more concerned about the push to legalize recreational marijuana. Why is it that when the kids manage to talk the homeless guy into going into the 7-Eleven to buy the 12-pack of beer, how come that doesn't mean we should prohibit uh, alcohol? Why is it that when kids get a hold of grandpa's Oxycontin that's in the medicine cabinet, take it to school and sell it, why does that not mean we should prohibit Oxycontin? Treat it the same way we treat it as marijuana. That's that's one of the the biggest things about this war on certain American citizens using non-pharmaceutical, non-alcoholic, tobacco-free drugs is that There's no consistency in the logic. Every excuse, every reason they've got for banning marijuana is a better reason to ban alcohol, tobacco, and prescription drugs. So there's no logical consistency to it. And I think a lot of the people on the other side don't understand how this for us, us regular tokers, I'm not talking about the guy that smokes once a year in his high school class reunion or something. Talking about those of us who on any random day you select are going to turn up very positive for marijuana. Not saying we smoke every day necessarily. I know I do, but not all of you. Maybe you don't, maybe you smoke once a week or something, but there's a high likelihood that the constituents of your body chemistry are going to subject you to a second class citizenship. That's my audience. That's the people I want to talk to our people. And our allies, I appreciate our allies, of course. But to me, this is a civil rights thing. This is a situation, Martin Luther King wrote it in the letter to the letter from the Birmingham jail, where he talked about an unjust law is a law that a majority power holds the minority to, but does not make binding upon itself. Right. And this is an argument I make when they, they try to, they try to derail this discussion into Well, uh, pot's just illegal. We're just making pot illegal. No, you're making people who smoke pot illegal. You're discriminating against people who smoke pot. The guns don't get pointed at the pot plants. They get pointed at the people who are attending them. And this idea, I mean, what it comes down to is is like the old old argument they used to make in the anti-gay marriage days. We're not discriminating. 
any gay man is welcome to marry any woman he chooses. <laughs> right? Well, that's the argument being used against us. We're not discriminating. You're welcome to drink all the beer and smoke all the cigarettes you like. Well, no, we don't want to drink the beer and smoke the cigarettes. We want to smoke the marijuana. And you've given us no good reason why we shouldn't be able to. Let's go to our phone lines. we got a call coming in from the 425 area code. You're on the air. What's up? Hey, Russ. Hey, this is Woodman. Hey, what's happening? Hey, I just wanted to touch on the civil rights uh, aspect of this that you're talking about. Go right ahead. Hey, you know, I think that you, you touch on a subject matter of, you know, people being treated like second-class citizens and, I don't know if anybody else has ever come from the patient standpoint or just in general, but it just seems like uh, they need to, there's an awful lot of talk, but it just seems like they need to make a move or we need to make a move for a protected class. It's kind of like, you know, minorities are a protected class. Women are a protected class. The LGBT are a protected class. I think uh, it's the only way to circumvent the, second-class citizenry that's going on with the, the the modern-day marijuana movement. I was just going to see what you think about just moving towards that step towards a protected class. I think uh, if either of the Democrats were to win and marijuana is either rescheduled to two or lower or descheduled altogether, there's a better way, better argument now for the protected class because you can you can start to bring things to bear like, you know, Americans with Disability Act, HIPAA, all these other things that that don't apply right now because it's a schedule one drug. So, you know, when they say, you know, Kevin Sabet wants to say, oh, it'd just be symbolic if you change the schedule. No, no, it'd be huge because a lot of these laws that are null and void because it's not a medicine, quote unquote, would now come into play. So, yeah, I think that's a, a major part. And, you know, the pushback I get sometimes from the prohibitionists is, well, you can't compare it, you know, because you're born black, you're born gay, you're born a woman, you're not born a pothead. And my response is, yeah, but you're not born Catholic. You're not born Scientologist, right? I mean, you may have been born into those families, but as an adult, your choice to remain Catholic, Scientologist, Mormon, whatever, that's a choice, and we protect that class. Yeah, just the whole nature of progressive diseases. It's Sometimes people need to adapt to a pain threshold mm-hmm. or whatever. It doesn't mean that they need to suffer. It's, that's where it comes down to the whole compassion thing, but... I understand the the legal argument and the the legal ease of the schedules and all that. Where you lost me was, um, you know, I'm no fan of either party, but can you back up a little bit to what you talked about on the the Democratic side? Yeah, so uh, Hillary Clinton has said she would support removing marijuana from Schedule 1 and putting it into Schedule 2 with cocaine, meth, and Oxycontin, right? So at least then the federal government would be saying, It is a medicine. And once it's in Schedule 2, doctors have prescribing rights, not just recommending like they do in the medical marijuana states. They could actually prescribe it. If marijuana were Schedule 2, a doctor in Iowa could prescribe it. A doctor in Nebraska could, you know, any doctor could prescribe it. There'd be be some limitations. Like, Schedule 2 is still really, really strictly controlled. And, you know, Coke and meth are Schedule 2, and you can't just use those recreationally. If you don't have a prescription, you know, severe penalties still apply. But at least if it got moved down to Schedule 2, things like HIPAA and uh, Americans with Disability Act that protect disabled people as a as a protected class, th- that's people have tried to use that before with medical marijuana in the medical marijuana states. They've said, hey, look, you know, 
Americans with disability says you can't discriminate against people because of the medicines they use to treat their disability. But the government could always come back and say, yeah, but marijuana is not a medicine. But if it's Schedule 2, they can't say that anymore. So that might get that protected class for disabled people that they're looking for. Well, why, I mean, why would we be limited to like a Hillary Clinton because she says so? Oh, oh, we're not necessarily. No, no, I'm not saying necessarily that at all. I'm saying she's at least willing to go down to Schedule 2. Bernie Sanders has said he's willing to deschedule it altogether, take it off the controlled substance list. And then a lot of the Republicans, especially the leading, uh, most of the Republicans, I should say, are on this like states' rights thing where they're saying we won't legalize it federally, but if the states want to do it, they can do it. So it might be more of, you know, just what we've been doing so far where the federal government hasn't changed anything, but they're looking the other way. And then you got a couple like your Chris Christie or your Mark Rubio that would say, no, we're going to go full tilt drug war and shut it down in the four legal states. I'm with you on the civil rights aspect of it. And I think it's, you know, just need to move past the Chris Christie's and the Marco Rubio's of the world. Yeah. Uh, I, and I don't know, you know, when you look at like the Rand Paul's just think that the government needs to stay out of it. But when it comes to that protected, um, class uh there's people in our society that have more rights than the medical patients and let's go right back to that civil rights movement um they need to end the discrimination and and i don't know that the protected class is the solution other than you know uh, maybe it is i just don't know but uh just was curious what you thought about that as you alluded to you know people being treated like second-class citizens so yeah thanks man i appreciate the call and uh i think about that with respect to medical and i think about it on the religious aspect i got people that i communicate with quite a bit who are fighting for those you know sacramental first amendment freedom of religion arguments and i support people fighting the religious argument and support the medical argument but i'm an atheist who's healthy so (laughs) they're not going to help me any uh, I support everybody's right to use cannabis, no matter why they want to use it. Wait, way to be, Russ. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I'll end it right there. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for your call, and uh, appreciate having a call in. Uh, let me take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. After this other one. This is Matt Abel, and you're listening to 420radio.org. Live. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again
again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. This is Radical Russ encouraging you to take a look at the Weed Blog every day. Johnny Green and the staff at the Weed Blog are on top of all the latest developments in the fight to end marijuana prohibition nationwide. You can even get the Weed Blog on your smartphone by installing the Weed Blog app for iPhone and Android. If it's about weed, it's on the Weed Blog, including my original writing. So don't delay. Read the Weed Blog today. Welcome back, everyone. That's music from Mudville. The song is called Stoned. I'm Radical Russ here at Rolla J Studios in beautiful Potland, Oregon. Just a quick update to the story we brought you earlier about the uh, 27-year-old man shot five times in the chest over a pound of weed and $3,600 in Green, Ohio. Tia Gilbert was profiled uh, in the news story, and it was quite a positive news story, framing-wise, about how this man was distributing medical marijuana. I also brought up how his last post uh, was anti-issue three. His last Facebook post ever was anti-issue three. Um, update is that Mike Adams, who writes for High Times, among other magazines, one of my colleagues in the uh, freelance writing biz uh, at High Times, uh, is a personal friend of the girlfriend, Tia Gilbert. He's updated me on Facebook, on uh, Twitter about how she's just devastated by this. And we're also both very amazed at the favorable coverage the story has gotten. Usually these stories are slanted as, you know, dope dealer got his just desserts. And I hope I hope everyone understands I don't think that at all. This is a tragedy. A tragedy that happened because prohibition continues. Prohibition is the only thing that can make a flower worth shooting people over. And we've got to do everything we can to end that prohibition. I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us here live from Roller J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon. Check us out on CannabisRadio.com every weekday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Every day, we go about our lives driven by routine. Our vision clouded by the very normalcy we take for granted. Countless victims of human trafficking walk among us, invisible. It's time to open our eyes. The Blue Campaign provides a unified voice for those who combat human trafficking, whether it's forced labor, domestic servitude, or the sex trade. Learn what you can do to help by visiting dhs.gov slash blue campaign. This is boot camp. This is the real thing now. You've never done anything so hard in your life. You don't understand how you can finish. It takes inner strength and desire to become a Marine. When I, I finished, I was like, I did it. 
The moment I will never forget is when this drill instructor that I admire so much comes up to me and said, Good morning, Marine. PFC Summer Volkman became a Marine. Can you? Visit Marines.com or call 1-800-MARINES. Would you let other people order for you? He'll have the Samoldianese. No, I won't. So why let others make decisions about your older years? Do you want your kids or perfect strangers choosing where you'll live or how your money gets spent? Uh, no. Go to longtermcare.gov and find your own path forward. It takes you step-by-step through everything you need to consider about aging and all your options. Longtermcare.gov. Plan now to stay in charge or pay later. How about a mohawk? (laughs) Very funny. Doing federal taxes can be taxing, so FreeFile from the IRS does the hard work for you with brand name tax software or online fillable forms, and it's free. So give yourself a break. FreeFile at freefile.irs.gov. At St. Jude, families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food because the only thing a family should worry about is helping their child live. Because of you, there is St. Jude. Welcome, 420 Radio fans, to the Activism Hour. I'm Russ Belville, and I founded 420 Radio intending to provide a public radio platform for the hardworking volunteer activists I meet every month from all across the country and around the world. The Activism Hour features videos from the people who make up the grassroots organizations fighting for an end to adult marijuana prohibition. Please learn more about these groups and send them your donations to bring the dream of cannabis freedom to all 50 states and across the globe. Today, you'll see videos from Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, at normal.org. Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, at leap.cc. Students for Sensible Drug Policy, at ssdp.org. The Marijuana Policy Project, at mpp.org. Americans for Safe Access, at safeaccessnow.org. High Times Magazine at hightimes.com River Rock, Colorado at riverrockcolorado.com and magicalbutter.com makers of the Magical Butter Botanical Extractor. Now, on to the program and thank you for your support of Marijuana Activism and 420radio.org. going to show you how to make magical butter cooking oil in just four easy steps. The ingredients that you'll need for this recipe are 2 to 5 cups of coconut or grapeseed oil, 7 to 28 grams per cup of high-quality botanicals, and 1 tablespoon per cup of lecithin. Before you begin, you must decarboxylate your herbs in order to activate the essential ingredients. Click here to view our video on decarboxylation. Now it's time to add your ingredients to your machine. Start by adding your whole herbs to the pitcher. Pour your cooking oil over your herbs. Finish with your lecithin. Lecithin is a great emulsifier and enriches your extraction. Now, secure the head back onto your machine. For this magical butter recipe, you will set your temperature to 160 degrees Fahrenheit or 71 degrees Celsius. Then press the one hour oil button. 
And that's it. The Magical Butter Machine will mix, stir, grind, and infuse your oil without any hassle. After the cycle is complete, remove the head of the appliance and put on your heat-resistant silicone love glove. Then pour the contents of your pitcher slowly into your purified filter bag, holding it over the container of your choice. Give your filter a gentle squeeze to ensure you get all of that oily goodness. Your freshly made Magical Butter cooking oil will keep in the refrigerator for three to six months. To see more of our excellent recipes made possible with our Magical Butter machine, visit MagicalButter.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement, he went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq War, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. I'm Miller, and I'm the executive director of Houston North, National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. And I am outraged. According to local and national news reports, an incident occurred on the night of June 21st in North Harris County during a traffic stop. 21-year-old Sharnesia Corley was pulled over for running a stop sign. The Harris County Sheriff's deputy claimed she smelled of marijuana, handcuffed her, placed her in his patrol car and searched her vehicle. When no marijuana was found, he was returned to his patrol car and again claimed to smell marijuana. A female deputy was called to the scene in order to conduct a body cavity search. The young woman, still handcuffed, was removed from the patrol car and the female deputy told her, pull your pants down. To which she responded, ma'am, I don't have any underwear on, but the deputy was unconcerned. According to the Houston Chronicle, the deputy ordered her to bend over, pulled down her pants, and began to insert her finger into the young woman's vagina. When she stood up in protest, the second female deputy joined in. According to the Huffington Post, they were forced her to the ground. One deputy sat on her back, while each of them grabbed one of her legs as they forcibly spread her legs in order to conduct an invasive manual body cavity search. What this amounts to is sexual battery in the name of prohibition. The officers involved have been identified as Deputy William Strong, Deputy Ronald Dean Pierre, and Deputy R. Rojas with the Harris County Sheriff's Office. We the people hereby call upon Harris County Sheriff Ron Hickman to immediately take administrative action against these three deputies, administrative suspension, removing them from duty so they are no longer on patrolling our streets at this time. We the people hereby call upon Harris County District Attorney Devin Anderson to investigate these deputies for the alleged assault and for the Harris County DA's office to bring forth any necessary criminal charges that may result from an investigation. A manual body cavity search without a warrant conducted in public is absolutely 100% both illegal and unconstitutional, a clear violation of our Fourth Amendment rights against unreasonable searches and seizures. Our government should certainly understand this, but to make things clear, House Bill 324, sponsored by Houston Representative Harold Dutton, was passed unanimously this year and signed into law by Governor Greg Abbott on June 19, 2015, just two days before this incident occurred. Atrocities like these should not be happening in our community. 
It's unfortunate that when law enforcement has its way, marijuana smokers are afforded no Fourth Amendment protections whatsoever. They are discriminated against and violently abused for nothing more than mere suspicion of possessing a plant. It has to stop. The underlying problem here is prohibition, the prohibition of a plant. A plant that is not only far less harmful to the body and mind than alcohol, but in some ways one of the safest therapeutically active substances known to man. Prohibition and the institutionalized racism that comes along with it, the disgustingly sexist behavior of but a few, undermines the very values upon which our nation was founded. We understand that until we can solve the underlying problem and bring an end to the unjust policy of prohibition, law enforcement must enforce current laws and we expect them to. We also expect them to abide by the United States Constitution, to protect and serve our community, to honor their oath to uphold the Constitution. As a result of this incident, 0.02 ounces of marijuana was found. Ms. Coley was arrested for two misdemeanors, possession of marijuana and resisting arrest. 0.02 ounces of marijuana, 100 times that amount would still be misdemeanor marijuana. Over 0.02 ounces of marijuana, we now have a huge problem, Sheriff Hickman. Over 0.02 ounces of marijuana, a young woman's dignity was stolen and cannot be returned. Over 0.02 ounces of marijuana, these deputies have cast shame and disgrace upon this young woman, upon themselves, upon the Harris County Sheriff's Office, upon the community to which they are sworn to protect, and upon our brave men and women in law enforcement across our great state who serve honorably each and every day. Sheriff Ron Hickman, we want to hear from you. What happened to the First Chance Intervention Program? The program touted by our district attorney. Are your deputies even trained on first chance intervention? If we're not even prosecuting misdemeanor marijuana, then why are your deputies conducting a body cavity search to look for misdemeanor marijuana? I'm disgusted by what I've read in these news reports, but at the same time, I'm thankful that this brave young woman has had the courage to speak out. Thank you. Yep, that's the one. All right. Hey, this is Steve Burke, and you're listening to 420 Radio. Yeah. It got me out of this chair at one point. You know, I wasn't in this chair. This chair was in storage in the garage, wrapped up. Um, but without cannabis, without my own medical gardens, the ability to, to get uh, truly organic medicine, this is what my life is. And I won't be out of this chair or out of the hospital bed or off the couch until that changes. Um, the side effects of all the other things, it's not just about us. It's the families, the people that have to live with us, that live inside that hellish tornado that they didn't participate in. They didn't sign up for that. They didn't deploy overseas and, and, and go through all this nonsense. But they're the ones who are most dramatically affected by, by it. Why is dad barking at me all the time? You know, it's, you go, with cannabis, you have a life. You can play with your children, you can engage with your wife and your friends and your family, and without it, the side effects of the illnesses, the injuries, and the pills remove all of those things from you. They take all of that from you. And so that's what you're left with, is just this. A 45-year-old man who can't wash his own hair. He helped go to the bathroom. It's just not, it's not a way that you should have to live if there's a way that you can not live that way. So, I, I'm not a very good speaker. 
considered a criminal right now. We have four states in this country where adult use is legal, where you could go in and you could use cannabis for any reason that you want. We have 23 medical states, and in Florida, you're considered a criminal if you're using this for medicine, and it's wrong. It's wrong. We shouldn't be forced to move, whether you're moms that are treating your children or you're a Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis business 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Right, this is your captain speaking. If you're trying to take your seats, fasten your seat belts. And we'll begin the conference. This is a complete first for a normal to start conference on time. And, and uh, we're really looking forward to an uh, extremely successful uh, conference here. I just remind you, though, that um, in that context, I just remind you that the uh, first uh, goal that scored at the World Cup, which many of us will probably be watching in the year, perhaps. Um, but uh, the first goal was actually an own goal, and that's one of the things which we do not want to score uh, here today. What we want to do is to ensure that everyone is uh, facing in the same direction. We do not want to be like the uh, Irish firing squad, former circle. We are here um, because we all support um, drug law reform. We don't want to um, relitigate the past here. We want to look forward. We want to look to what uh, Colorado, the example that's been provided by Colorado and other other uh, countries, states and countries around the world. Um, so I'm just asking for everyone to keep that focus, look forward, be positive, uh, and we'll have a great confidence. conference. And uh, I'll be full of confidence at the end. Uh, uh, I'm going to call on Gary just to do a few of the housekeeping details. If you are using a microphone, obviously you have to be right up close so you can't hear anything. Gary. That's a passionate lover, lover the tender. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, first off, I'd like to tell you where the toilets are. They're just out the door to my left here. Um, the fire escape is Closer also, to the mic. Mic is right. Sorry, the fire escape is also out. 
to the side here. Uh, if there is a fire alarm, we'll be uh, singling out at the power park downstairs, down the stairs, not the lift. Um, we'll be breaking for uh, um, a small break at approximately 11.30. Uh, lunch will be at 1. And now's probably a good time to turn your cell phone on. Thank you. Okay, right, now the technology allows for silent phones, so leave them on so that everyone can actually continue to tweet and uh, get the conference live for everyone that's not here. Okay, thank you. I'd like to ask uh, Max Abbott to come forward and uh, do a formal welcome to us. Um, thank you, Max. Uh, where is the ear? Yeah. Right, right here. Thank you, Max. Uh, Max has uh, come down from AUT. Um, I you know about his uh, background from your uh, program and that, um, and he'll tell you all about his involvement with uh, uh, drug law reform over the years. Everybody, and uh, I wish you well for the next day. I wish you well for the remainder of the day. Um, closer to the mic. Hmm? Closer still? You okay. basically have to. Do you want us to adjust and make it taller for you? Um, so you don't have to lean down like a hole? Yeah, I'd rather not do that. Yeah. 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 changes internationally and in this country that actually open things up in a way that I haven't seen in my lifetime. There have been brief periods in the past where there were possibilities, but I think now there's, we're looking at something not just in this country but globally where there could be a, a shift, almost a seismic shift. Um, I've been involved over the years in many social health issues. Um, over 20, and I've learned that timing is everything. Um, I'm not wanting to sound overly grandiose. My involvement in a lot of those issues have been cameo performances. The people that have carried it through in the long haul, as indeed many of you people here with regard to cannabis, I'm not one of those. Um, but I have come in from time to time when I felt that something useful could be um, achieved. When you do need all the allies you, you can get. Um, and 
Um, I think this is one of those one of those times, and that's why I've sort of popped my head up again after long many years actually around Canada's issues. I've always been there, but you know not out there, so to speak. Um, and when Annie Hulse made her comments, she was actually pretty much alone in terms of the establishment, um, and so I did um, support her and continue to do so. Um, both publicly and also behind the scenes, uh, where most important work actually gets done. Um, in earlier incarnations, just for the record, for 10 years I was the National Director of the Mental Health Foundation, I was also the President of the World Federation for Mental Health back in my youth. Um, and during that time as the Director of the Mental Health Foundation, we were involved in what was referred to as the Great Cannabis Debate. 30 years ago. I was a child at the time, of course. But 30 <laughs> years ago. Um, and that was an amazing event. There were over 1,200 people in the uh, Auckland Town Hall. Were any of you there, by the way? Were any of you alive? So anyway, so there was, there were, you know, the 1,200 people. The, um, there were also people outside that couldn't get in, including court and police around the it was it wasn't televised. We did have television back then, but um certainly there was some television coverage of it. Um, but it was broadcast live on the national radio of the national radio. So um, it had very high visibility. And it, it, it occurred at a time when Again, the political moment was, was right. Um, there'd been some high-profile legal cases. The, the, the incoming Labor government, it was in, it was in 1984, um, the, the, you know, they had this thing about opening the books. They had an economic summit when they first came into office, they actually attended. And then they had, and then the Bassett, the Minister of Health at that time, called for the opening of the books on campus. And then very rapidly, they said, oh, no, no, that's not what we meant. We just wanted a discussion about the health aspects. We didn't. Yeah, so, um, and then a number of people who'd spoken out publicly actually got, con got convicted and lost their jobs. Um, Liz, you know, right. Liz was one of them. Yeah. From, um, and he was at the debate, spoke. He wasn't one of the speakers, but from the floor. And Norman was, was uh, well represented there, too. At, at, um, yeah, so it was an interesting time. But I just. Um, I just comment. I mean, this, this was the it was a proceeding which I actually edited of that publication of that of the debate. That's, you know, Thirty years ago, very interesting. I was just looking at the back, and I had these things. Must be the last time I used this as part of a presentation. And I had to see these things in the back, which I got to use in the presentation. People know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll leave them here. You'll have to pass them around just to show you what they look. Those that haven't seen them before. what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant.
As I mentioned before, I went rounds today with the Stoners Against Legalization who are hell-bent on continuing marijuana prohibition in the state of Ohio for at least another year. For those of you that might be behind, uh, Ohio has marijuana legalization on the ballot in 2015, but some people are upset about it because that legalization comes with a cost, and that cost is there will only be 10 commercial growers, and those 10 commercial growers have already been spoken for. They are the 10 groups that have invested in the campaign. Now, this has pissed off a lot of people, and I get to hear from them on Twitter and Facebook all day, and they're all pissed off because they feel like, oh my God, we're selling out. We're giving away the marijuana industry. We're screwing over the growers, is what I kept hearing. To which I have to wonder, why is that such a problem? Now, maybe it's just my personal experience, but the growers I've known, the dealers I've known, the weed dealers I've known, don't really deserve that much consideration. I don't understand this default reverence for the marijuana grower as if they're some kind of uh, freedom fighter, right? That's the way it's usually portrayed. God bless the growers. They kept us in weed all these years when it was illegal. They they gave, they sacrificed. Well, yes. And they made a hell of a profit for doing so. See, my problem with all of this is because I'm a marijuana consumer. And when it comes to marijuana arrests, seven out of eight arrests in this country are marijuana consumers, not growers. The one out of eight who do get arrested for growing and dealing, at least they made money for their risk. At least they were able to charge $300 an ounce, give shitty customer service, have no sort of of, uh, selection, shorting your bag, spraying the weed with Eagle 20, and making you listen to their shitty band tape and pretend that you like the guy just because you want to buy some weed, I'm supposed to be upset that that guy can't take his illegal business legit? I'm supposed to be upset about that guy. Now, I've known many different levels of dealers and growers. And to me, I've got kind of a magic rule of thumb. And that is, the farther away you get from the grow, the blacker the market gets. Some people grow some weed so that they can have some weed. Absolutely no moral qualms about that. You're taking the risk to grow weed for your own personal consumption. If you get caught, you do the time. If you don't get caught, you got some weed. No moral problems there. The next level is the guy who grows some weed, right? And then deals a little bit of it to his friends. Friend prices so that he can recoup some of the money that he spends on buying the lights and the fertilizer and the and the Eagle 20 and whatever the hell else he's putting on it, right? But those friend prices somehow never seem to work out to what the production cost was. They never seem to work out to what it would be to recoup the costs without profit. I've spoken to many experts in marijuana growing mark emery for one and a a whole bunch of others that'll remain anonymous because some of them are still illegal and every one of them tells me that even under the worst circumstances growing marijuana indoors under full prohibition it costs between 12 and 25 bucks an ounce to grow 
So what the hell kind of friend price is it when it costs you 25 bucks to grow that ounce and you're selling it to someone to 300 bucks who has no other choice but to spend that 300 bucks because prohibition prevents him from comparison shopping. These people that are complaining about a 10 grower cartel monopoly, that would be 10 more, that would be nine more growers than most cannabis consumers have right now. Most cannabis consumers have their guy, and that's it. And so these guys that are growing weed illegally want to take on the mantle of some sort of moral freedom fighter, when in fact what they are is prohibition profiteers, making profit off the misery that befalls the seven out of eight cannabis consumers who are the ones who are more likely to get arrested. And again, keep in mind, more likely to be black. So when I hear these people saying, oh, well, this isn't good enough. We can wait for another legalization. Something better is coming around. I think your privilege is showing a little bit. I just don't get it. I don't get it. Now, if you were a marijuana grower who was growing weed and then you were selling it at a hundred bucks an ounce, doing what you could to undercut the Mexican cartels, doing what you could to undercut and bring down the price for everyone else, and then taking some of those profits and donating it to Drug Policy Alliance or Marijuana Policy Project or Normal, then we don't have an issue. I'm painting with a broad brush here, so if the shoe doesn't fit, don't try it on, okay? Some of you growers are good people. I sound like Trump now, don't I? Some of you growers are good people. Some of you guys have been doing it the right way. Some of you have been cultivating altruistically for patience. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your typical black market grower who just found it far easier to sleep in till noon, tend a closet in his house, and take advantage of criminal prohibition to be able to price gouge consumers. That's the weed dealers and growers I know. So I'm not too upset that they don't get to participate in this new legal market. The times that I lived in the black market state of Idaho, this deeply red state of Idaho, the state that doesn't have 100 gram decrim like Ohio does, the state where merely having metabolites in your system is a three month misdemeanor. Yeah, that's where I come from. That's my perspective on this. And it's my experience of having to call around town, call, 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 trying to find a bag of weed. And when you finally find a bag of weed, having to go to some place, some sketchy place you don't want to be in, to visit with some guy you don't like, to wait two hours until he finally gets around to bringing the weed around, and your 28-gram bag is 26 grams, and it's got stems in it, and I'm supposed to be upset that guy's cut out. I just don't get it. And add to this, not all those growers are such nice guys. Some of those growers use threats and intimidation and coercion and weapons to defend their profits. And keep in mind, some of those growers were the people that opposed Proposition 19 in California and condemned Californians to another six years of prohibition. 
Some of those growers were the ones that were funding no on I-502. And had they been successful, Washington State would have faced at least another two years of 5,000 arrests per year. Every time legalization comes up, the only people I can find who smoke pot that put money against it, I shouldn't say only, some of you are just pot smokers who are idiots, but mostly it's people with a grow tie. Mostly it's people that are terrified that professional, capitalized businesses will be able to produce marijuana in bulk at better quality, better selection, and better price than the guy with the grow tent in his house who sleeps till noon, pays no taxes, who abides by no regulations for purity or quality, who will lie to your face about what strain you're buying or what weight it is. Why am I supposed to have sympathy for those people? Oh, well, Russ, if, they've ne- if they never would have grew, well, you never would have had marijuana. Fair enough, but it's not like they did it for free. They made plenty of profit on it while I was busting my hump in an eight to five job working in a cubicle that I hated getting 30% of my money taken out for taxes. While this guy sitting at home making easy bank, tending some house plants. That's my problem with this. And you're telling me that with the opportunity to have cops no longer fuck with you over the smell of weed, to be able to possess an ounce of it in public, to be able to possess a half pound of it at home, to be able to grow four plants at home, to completely kill probable cause, to eliminate the use of drug-sniffing dogs, to institute shops that are secure with lots of uh, selection and good prices on weed, and the thousands of jobs that will create and the millions of tax revenue that will bring in, I'm supposed to reject that because not the right guys are getting rich? Here's some news for you know on issue three people in Ohio. Even if you had open grow licensing, how many would be enough for you to accept it? If those 10 licenses weren't already called for, if they were open bid, would you accept it? No. You'd say 10 licenses isn't enough. You'd want 200, and some of you would say, no, that's not enough. And then there'd be an application fee of $5,000, and you'd say, oh, no, that's too high. And then there'd be regulations and inspections you'd have to follow, and then you'd say, oh, no, that's too arduous. There's always some fucking excuse for stoners against legalization to keep me a criminal, and I will not accept that. Anybody who decides that I should remain a criminal is a prohibitionist, and I will fight them with my last dying breath. That's all, folks. Take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you at get.buzz Arguing for the end of adult marijuana prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. 
It is even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more in this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Welcome back, everybody, to the Drug War Data Mines. It's 22, almost 23 after the hour, coming to you live from Idaho Springs, Colorado, at 7,200 feet elevation. And for the data mine today, we're turning to a new poll that comes to us from the Pew Research Center for U.S. Politics and Policy. And the headline is, In Debate Over Legalizing Marijuana, Disagreement Over Drugs' Dangers. And so in addition to the poll, they actually asked people if they supported or opposed marijuana why? So we'll take a look at some of this. First of all, the Pew Center overall number shows that 53% of Americans favor the legal use of marijuana. 44% are opposed. And that's an amazing change because just as recently as 2006, it was 32% support for marijuana legalization. I would note that around 2007 is when my talk radio career started and I started talking about legalization. So obviously, That is what uh, made it rise so quickly. (laughs) Anyway, uh, they also list this out by the generations. Uh, Millennials, uh, the young generation, uh, age 18 to 34, are 68% in favor of marijuana legalization. But every generation, except for people ages 70 to 87, support legalization and, and have seen a sharp increase in their support over the past decade. And it's also found that the supporters of legalizing marijuana are far more likely than opponents to say that they have changed their mind on the issue. That is to say, more people who didn't want it legal have changed their mind to want it legal than people who have wanted it legal have changed their mind to make it illegal. As once people have decided it should be legal, they tend to stay that way. 30% say they support legalizing marijuana and always have while another 21% say they've changed their minds. That means in the span of a decade, one out of five people have changed their mind on marijuana legalization. 35% say they oppose legalization and always have. And folks, I'm here to tell you that they probably always will. <laughs> there's, there's just going to be uh, one out of three people are just going to always be ignorant on the issue uh, by choice. They're going to choose to be ignorant on the issue because there's no reason to be ignorant at this point in time and uh we may never get them uh to support marijuana legalization uh by contrast seven uh, percent of the people changed their mind they used to support legalization now they don't so remember it was 21 percent who changed their mind yes seven percent that changed their mind to no that tells me For every one that changed their mind, no, we've got three that changed their mind, yes. That is a great demographic trend that can only continue. Now, they ask people why they support legalization, and the people that support legalization, 41% support the medicinal benefits of cannabis. They just say, because it's good for me in some sort of way. 36% say that it's not as dangerous as other drugs. 27% cite the benefits of taxing and regulating it, making the tax revenue. 12% say the current enforcement is expensive and problematic. Prohibition doesn't work. And 9%, just 9% come in with the civil liberties argument. People should be able to do it if they want to. All use is none yet. Now, when it comes to the people that oppose marijuana, uh, the people that oppose it say that, let's see, get down here, the most frequently cited case 
is that it hurts society and is bad for individuals. 43% of the people that oppose marijuana legalization thinks that it hurts society and is bad for people. 30% say it's a dangerous, addictive drug. 19% say it should be illegal and needs to be policed. And this is something I think is a good sign. Only 11% cite the gateway drug theory, and only 8% are citing that it's bad for young people. And even among the people that think marijuana ought to be illegal, 7% say that only recreational use should be illegal, but medicinal use should be okay. So as we take a look at these demographics, especially the younger voices that are uh, supporting this, uh, thing, this is just good news for the continuing shift in America's opinions on marijuana legalization. We've also got numbers on the racial demographics here. Uh, majorities of both blacks and whites support legalizing marijuana. In fact, blacks at 58%, whites at 55 but just 40% of Hispanics support legalization. There definitely needs to be much more outreach to the Latino community on the issue of marijuana legalization to understand why it benefits their communities as well. We also see the typical uh, demographic gap in gender. Men are 57% in favor. Women are 49%. But they are in favor. That's a plurality. Women are 49-48. So that's definitely making up some ground. 59% of Democrats support legalization, 58% of independents, but just 39% of Republicans. So we know where the opposition to marijuana legalization lies. It lies with older voters, it lies with Republican voters, and surprisingly, it lies with Hispanic voters. So we will keep an eye on these data. You can find this at the Pew Center website, people-press.org. That's people-press.org. Dot org, And uh, you can bring all that information up, and uh, we'll have uh, a breakdown of that on the RadicalRust.com website just as soon as we can get to it. Again, 53%. Mark Twain once said that when there's a goal, rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Canna Business Chronicles. Welcome back, everyone. 46 after the hour. And last week, I received a press release that caught my attention, telling me that there was a $100 million lawsuit filed by Medical Marijuana Inc. over a special report by Project CBD. And uh, that caught my attention because, of course, I've heard of Medical Marijuana, Inc. and the business they're doing. And uh, I know folks that have put together Project CBD. So I wanted to find out what's going on with that. Apparently, there has been a settlement. And joining us here to discuss it is the CEO of Medical Marijuana, Inc., Stuart Titus. Stuart, welcome to the show. You. Oh, doing fantastic. I'm so glad I was able to get you on the line. And just so folks know, I've also reached out to the, the uh, people at Project CBD to get one of their representatives to speak to us. But uh, as of uh, as of showtime, didn't get any response back. So uh, we'll just go with you, Stuart, and we'll uh, tell the story. How's that? Sounds fine to me. Okay, so uh, I need to find out what's going on with this particular lawsuit. And I think what this had to do with was a test result on a product you guys have, real scientific hemp oil, 
known as RSHO. Can you tell us what that real scientific hemp oil is? Uh, yes, our RSHO product is a, a nutraceutical product uh, that uh, is based off of uh, the industrial hemp plant. It's a high concentration of uh, CBD uh, in the uh, hemp oil, and uh, it's a product that we have available for uh, public sale. And, and in your phrasing of that, I notice you say a nutraceutical and you reference the hemp plant rather than cannabis or marijuana. So is it the point that this is made from industrial hemp, which is, you know, subject to less regulation than Schedule 1 cannabis might be? Uh, yes, this is from industrial hemp that we uh, grow from our overseas operations. And uh, thus it's uh, legal for importation and the sale in all 50 states. Okay. So this has been uh, the subject of some controversy, but that's not what our discussion's about. Some people, you know, think that this idea that you can get medically viable uh, products out of industrial hemp is, you know, there's still a lot of questions about that, but let's, let's table that for a moment and instead talk about this controversy in this suit, which was uh, the folks at Project CBD, uh, which is a you know a lot of uh, activists uh, and 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 medical marijuana people, put together Project CBD and have been warning people against uh, these industrial hemp products. And specifically, they had a report that they issued, uh, and I forget the title of the report, but it was a special report that supposedly said that your uh, products were laden with toxic heavy metals. Can you walk us through what happened in this suit? Well, obviously, there's still ongoing litigation, so there's uh, only so much I can comment about. Okay. Uh, but we did uh, receive a, um, a settlement agreement from uh, Stewart Environmental, uh, which is a company that did uh, some of the testing on this particular product. And uh, I think you'll find that uh, when you, you know, listen to their testimony or read their um, <clears throat> uh, transcript from the uh, video that uh, the reports uh, that Project CBD was putting out were uh, I, I would characterize them as blatantly false, blatantly false. And uh, this was based on if I was if I remember what I was reading from the uh, the settlement in the suit, uh, what I what I saw that was emailed to me had to do with the fact that, that what was reported by this Stewart environmental lab was preliminary or a draft of some sort that then got taken by Project CBD and, and, and blasted as if it were the fact is is am I close there? Well, there's uh, what's called a preliminary report. Apparently, I'm not as familiar with uh, analytical laboratory analysis, but uh, uh, as the uh, uh, environmental Stewart Environmental Company has said, they uh, did an initial test, uh, which basically is supposed to show a significant amount of heavy metals because they do introduce heavy metal into that test. And then they do a second um, test, which they then remove all the heavy metal toxins and search for extracts uh, that uh, still may be remaining. Uh, again, I'm not as uh, familiar with this. It's a fairly detailed analysis. However, the preliminary report where they introduced all these heavy metals uh, was actually then produced and somehow got into the hands of Project CBD. Um, I believe the company uh, came back uh, very shortly thereafter and said this is a preliminary report. We'll have a final report for you in a very short order. The final report came back and showed that the sample was free and clear of uh, toxins and the heavy metals. However, uh, Project CBD is, uh, well, you know, facts will uh, come out, but uh, unfortunately, it, it just seems they have uh, uh, you know, made their uh, comments uh, based on a uh, very preliminary and totally incorrect report. 
So, so the settlement uh, that we're talking about at this point comes from the lab they base their report on, not from the folks at Project CBD. Well, uh, <clears throat> let me try to clarify this again. Project CBD put out a report uh, that basically uh, mentioned that our product was uh, very toxic. Um, I believe in the final analysis, the laboratory that did that report called Stewart Environmental uh, mentioned that our product is uh, free and clear of toxins and was uh, uh, free and clear of toxins, I guess is what okay. I can say. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned that there's still ongoing litigation. Would that be with uh, Project CBD over this particular report? Uh, that's correct. Okay. And so that's where we start talking about... Uh, I guess the things like harm to the business reputation and, and false claims. And, and is that what we're dealing with in this suit? Well, certainly uh, our company, our product and our shareholders have been harmed by the uh, inaccuracies and uh, mm -hmm. the controversy within the industry is obviously never a, a good thing. And um, we hope to be able to you know, resolve this uh, very expeditiously. Okay. Let's go back to the, uh, the, the oil itself, real scientific hemp oil and the idea that we can get medically efficacious compounds out of what's known as industrial hemp. Now, uh, typically the definitions industrial hemp worldwide are that can those cannabis plants that contain less than 0.3% THC. Is that, is that what your stock is that you're working with? Uh, yes, that's uh, pretty much the uh, you know, uh, international uh, standard. Uh, some countries it's 0.2%, uh, but uh, generally 03 is what's uh, uh, being established. Looks like that's being established here with some of the uh, legislation in the United States. Mm -hmm. So so it seemed to me that uh, what you're getting for the real scientific hemp oil then would be mostly you know CBD and other cannabinoid-based rather than the THC. Uh, that's correct, yes. Okay. And, and so... It's your company's contention that there's no difference in the CBD that you'd get out of an industrial hemp plant versus what, say, the uh, Stanley Brothers in Colorado were getting out of those Charlotte's Web type plants that that were initially thought to be cannabis plants, regular old pot plants, but they had such low THC, but they weren't industrial hemp uh, that they could only use them for CBD. Is it is is it is is basically I guess what I'm saying is CBD CBD no matter which type of plant it's coming from. Well, I think that question might be better answered by the scientific community. Uh, certainly, uh, we believe there's uh, uh, some uh, uh, potential health and wellness benefits from uh, CBD, from the industrial hemp plant. I think there's a tremendous amount of scientific research going on right at the moment on CBD. Uh, you can uh, look up a, a number of different things. Uh, one of our portfolio companies, Canna Life Sciences, is uh, researching uh, pharmaceutical potential of uh, CBD. So, um, They've had the uh, ability to use the uh, U.S. government's patent on the therapeutic use of cannabinoids, known as the 507 patent. So uh, just looking that up, I think you'll see that uh, there's some uh, potential medical benefit from uh, uh, cannabinoids in general, and particularly in CBD. Sure, sure. Uh, folks who listen to the show are well aware of patent number 6630507. You know, the federal government says, hey, there's a medical utility here from this drug that we say has no medical utility. We're speaking with Stuart Titus. He's the CEO of Medical Marijuana Inc. And another uh, another part of this uh, company and this industry that we're breaking into here is the fact that it's still federally illegal on so many levels and illegal in many state levels. And so far, the companies have all been 
pretty much on what we call the over-the-counter stocks, uh, the penny stocks. Is, is that the situation with uh, Medical Marijuana Inc. still? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, we're uh, over-the-counter. Our stock symbol is uh, MJNA. Okay. Okay. And, and you know, this has been, it's a, it's a really, from what I, and I gotta, I gotta say right off the top that I'm not a stock market guru in any way. I have no idea how that high finance stuff works, but the, I always hear warnings from people, be careful of the penny stocks, be careful of the penny stocks, especially in, in marijuana, since it's so new and the feds could do this or that. Uh, what's your take on this? I mean, I imagine you're very pro penny stock given that you're selling them, but, uh, what words of advice would you give people in this market? Well, certainly it's a growing and emerging market. Uh, all the companies here uh, are pretty much in the developmental stage. Um, certainly, uh, we'd like to believe uh, somewhere down the road, whether it's three, five, ten years, uh, this is going to be one of the 